At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Heaps with myself, Craig Heaps Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you guys. Joining me in segment number two, we're going to be joined by one of our good friends, Blake Lovell. He does such amazing work over at Southeastern 14. Certainly, we're going to be talking a lot about those SEC teams with him, but couple with that, we're going to be taking a look at really the tenor of college basketball, what we're seeing right now. Certainly, we need to be diving in on some of these teams that have been ascending slash declining over the last few weeks. Couple with that, we're going to be taking a look at a few games that we're going to be seeing for Wednesday in the SEC. A lot of intriguing matchups, including that fun one between Tennessee and Mississippi State. So we've got a lot on tap with our good friend Blake, and we're going to be talking about that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday. As we hit some bank shots, if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we go further in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNNerdiscord1. Keep in mind, letters M. Name me does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that's fine. An Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, Mirable Fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, five that five-star review. Really did not get in any of those Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball on Tuesday. Let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Now, just a word of caution. A lot of the late games I am not going to be able to sum up on this podcast because the Greg Peterson experience on Visa and Esports Bank Network that is from midnight 
to 3 Eastern Time. That is 9 to midnight Pacific. So I do have to record this more around about 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. So as of right now, our DK network right up of Georgia Tech laying the number that is hanging in the balance right now. They are up by one and with about two minutes remaining in the first half. So hopefully we can get a little bit of a turnaround there. It was looking very good to start out with. And then Notre Dame was able to make a little bit of a run. So we're going to be sweating that one out. And this is not a game that is quite done yet. But looking like Texas Tech going to be able to pull this one out against Oklahoma State. They're up 78-64 to on Oklahoma State with about three and a half minutes remaining. And it's a Texas Tech team that is really starting to ascend. I do like what I'm seeing out of them. And we did see a lot of fun Big 12 action on Tuesday. But that's up for Texas Tech because I record this or 7 of 13 from three-point range being able to get Pops Isaacs going for 24 points as I record this and for Oklahoma State defense just does not look the same for the team this season they're actually winning the rebound battle but they have only forced four turnovers on Texas Tech so Texas Tech looking very efficient on that front this game did go final and this went the way of old Iowa State as they were able to get the outright win against Houston in a game that was grimy it was slow and it was ugly 57 to 53 Iowa State gets a win. Houston, they just couldn't get anything going. 7-26 from three-point range. And, I mean, the Houston defense was more than good enough to be able to win this game as these two teams had a combined 28 turnovers in this contest. The man that was able to lift Iowa State to victory, Damon Lipsby. He was a great defender last year, but has really been able to elevate on offense. He did have four turnovers, but was able to generate for the team 14 points. And Jamal Shedd, the five turnovers, a little bit unsightly from him. He did have 14 points, which was nice, but those turnovers turned out to be the difference in this one. Seton Hall is able to get the outright win, but they're unable to get a cover against Georgetown. 74-70 to the final in this one at Georgetown. They go just 10 of 35 from three, while Seton Hall went 7 of 15 from three. Seton Hall actually went 11 of their first 13 from the floor, and then from there, they just started to turn the ball over too much. They lose their turnover battle 17-12. to Georgetown plays even up on the glass, and Jalen Epps was able to get you to the window on Georgia down on this one as he had 30 points. This line was right around five and a half, so good on them for being able to get that cover, and Columbia was able to pull off a cover as well. They've been one of your better against the spread teams if you were able to get them at a 12 and a half, as this was between 12 and 12 and a half. They get there for you on this 91 to 79 to be able to start out the day as that was a high scoring and just overall slugfest. Another team has been able to do a really good job against the spread for you. That would be Kentucky, and this one did depend upon your closing number as well as Kentucky. They closed in a lot of spots, more around about 11 after a 12. So you should have gotten there, and it should be able to push you to 10 and 4 against the spread with Kentucky. 90 to 77, the final end. This was very uncomfortable for Kentucky throughout, especially in the first half. They were able to get out to a relatively nice double figure lead, and then Missouri was able to cut into it. But Kentucky, they're able to pull away late, despite the fact that they did cool down a little bit from three par range. Something that I did see coming, 7 of 23 from three par range. But Trey Mitchell, 20 points, 14 rebounds for Kentucky. They dominate on the glass, 42 to 27. They actually do lose a turnover battle, but that said, with the way that they were able to dominate on the glass and um, having Ahmad Bradshaw bag the fold with about 10 points, six boards, that was certainly able to help elevate this team as well. And then you did see Florida State as a little bit of an underdog. Get it done outright against a Wake Forest team that has been ascending a little bit. 87-82 to final in this one. As for Florida State, they go 7-13 of 13 from three-point range and they win the turnover battle by a count of 20-13 to 13 for Florida State. You had Jimmy Watkins be able to chip in their 19 points. And for Wake Forest, Cameron Hildreth, he was able to chip in their 25 points, but with Florida State shooting that way from three-point range, did make it a little bit of a dicey scenario there. 
Texas has been a team that has been all over the place against the spread thus far this season, but they were able to rise up on Tuesday, 74-73. They go on the road, and they get the job done against Cincinnati. Texas just 5-10 and 10 against the spread, but you know what? You'll certainly take this one as for Texas. Dylan DeSue, him back in the fold, massive for this team. 33 points, 6 rebounds for Cincinnati. They were able to do a relatively solid job on the glass as they win that battle 34-28, but they lose a turnover battle 15-10. You had Simeon's Lucatius being able to chip in their 19 points, and for Cincinnati, they go 7-17 from 3-point range, but DeSue was all the difference in this one. Also a team that has 5-10 against the spread in the Big 12. It's also a team that has 5-10 straight up. West Virginia, they lose at home to Kansas State 81-67 as for West Virginia, yeah, if Raekwon Battle will give you 21 points, but hey, the rest of the team did not show up. Without Jesse Edwards, this team is being plowed on the glass. They lose a rebound battle 35-22, to and for this Kansas State team, they go 6-19 of from three-point range, more than good enough for them. Both of these teams go 19-23 of at the free-throw line, and for Kansas State, they really hadn't broken 75 points in regulation because they played a lot of overtime in an eon, but they bust through here for Alabama. We've been questioning the defense all season long. They rose up in this spot, though against South Carolina. 74 to 47. South Carolina just couldn't hit water if they thought of a boat. And South Carolina has been one of your better stories in all of college basketball this year. This drops them to now 11 and 4 against the spread. But for Alabama, they're now 8 and 7 against the spread as they go 15 of 34 from 3, while South Carolina has that doldrum of 5 of 25. For South Carolina, they lose the turnover battle 17 to 15. And Mark Sears, all the difference for Alabama. He had 31 points. And as a matter of fact, he and Aaron Estrada combined 48 points. South Carolina, as a team, had 47. So that's a little bit of an issue. This was an issue if you took the over. VCU and George Mason just couldn't score buckets. 54 to 50. VCU able to get the job done as a little bit of an underdog as VCU. They now have back in the fold their full allotment of guys as Sean Bearstow. He was able to pop off and give the team six points in this one. George Bashmili off the bench, only about two points. So the guys that returned, they didn't have too much of an impact, but they were able to do so defensively as George Mason. Oh, of 15 from three-point range. So that was a little bit less than terrific out there, out there in the MAC. You've got a lot of over teams, and we did see quite a few overs become overwhelming in the MAC as well as Toledo. They go on the road. They take down Kent State by a count of 89 to 75. As Kent State now 10 and three to the over thus far this season. Miami of Ohio. They took down Buffalo by a count of 86 to 65. That was a total of 144 and a half. That went over Miami of Ohio. Now nine and four to the over. Really, the lone team has played more than one more game to the under rather than the over is Buffalo. So they've been having a little bit of a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket, but Toledo going back to them. They're now 9-6 and six to the over as well. And for Miami of Ohio, Anderson Mumbo being back in the fold, being able to give the team 21 points. That was pretty massive for them. Akron is now 7-6 to the over, 80-76. to 76. They went well over that total against Ball State. Eastern Michigan, they are 8-5 to the over, and they get plowed by Central Michigan, 80-64. to 64. This was a game that was set with a 138.5 total, so that goes over as for Central Michigan. They went 11-17 of 17 from 3-point range. They had really been struggling from 3-point range all season long, so we saw things get very overwhelming out there in the MAC. Currently, as I do this podcast as well, this is a game as at halftime. BYU is up on Baylor by kind of 39 to 33. BYU has been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball. We shall see if they can keep this up. But Baylor just 11 of 31 from the floor in the first half. They actually won the turnover battle, but they lose a rebound battle. Meanwhile, Richmond, they are about to finish this one off. They take down Loyola of Chicago on the road. Loyola Chicago has been one of your worst cover teams in all of college 
college basketball over the last two years. They have been pretty badly overvalued. And this is going to drop Loyola Chicago to now being 6-9. and nine. Very nice against the spread. While Richmond, they're now 10-4-1 against the spread. They go 10-22 of 22 from three points with the King, Jordan King, being able to give you 16 points in this one for Loyola Chicago. They actually win the battle on the glass, 41-33, but they lose that turnover battle as well. Richmond, top five team in all of college basketball. Turns the fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, and it's looking like it's going to be another rough one for DePaul. Currently doing this at the half of this game. Creighton up 47-30 on DePaul. No shock here. It's been relatively rough going, and this is something that I've been talking about on the podcast as well. Look at some of these teams that maybe didn't play the most stellar of competition early on during the season as perhaps their metrics are a little bit overinflated. We need to see the second half in this one, but I'm doing this at the half. Duke up 48-23 to 23 at the half on Pittsburgh as Blake Kinson had 9 points for Pittsburgh, but they've just had absolutely no response for the duo of Kyle Filipowski along with Jared McCain. These two guys combined for 27 points, so these two guys by themselves outscore Pittsburgh by 4 points in the first half. Filipowski also chipped in their six rebounds, looking like we're going to get thorough domination there. And right now, one of your most disappointing teams at all of college basketball, looks like they might disappoint as well. At the half, Auburn up 30-22 to on Texas A&M as well. This is an A&M team that just has not been able to make you money this far this season. They're actually 7-7 seven and seven against the spread, to my surprise. I actually thought it was far worse than that, but Auburn has certainly been able to heat up, and that's certainly a team that we're going to be talking about with Blake Lovell, and do have to mention this one as well. Nebraska up on the half. Uh, against Purdue by a count of 41 to 30. Purdue has been a really good cover team this far this season, but you may remember last year in Big Ten play, it was a Purdue team that they just weren't really doing a great job against the spread. They entered into the night 9-4 and I believe two pushes against the spread, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit of a better job this year in conference play rather than last year, but going back to last season, Purdue against the spread, they were just 9-12 and 2 against Big Ten foes, so That is very much something to be mindful of and something that we've been seeing in college basketball this year that you do want to be mindful of. The overs have just been continuing to hit. The over rate is now up to 51.4% in college basketball. Obviously, this is with some games that are still pending for Tuesday, but 1,260 overs, 1,191 unders, home underdogs, Still doing relatively okay, 296, 290, and 12 against the spread, but favorites hitting at about 50.7%, 1,235, 1,242 against the spread. Meanwhile, if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, it's been really an overpalooza, 157 overs to 147 unders. We've had along the way, I believe, like five or so pushes, so about 51.6% of games going over the total, and we've seen favorites come back to the pack a little bit, but still doing a relatively solid job, 153, 146, and 9 against the spread with home underdogs over the last seven days, 51-49 and 2 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Tuesday. Now let's take a look at what we're all getting on the SEC landscape, a man that does such a great job with that, Blake Lovell, who does amazing work over at Southeastern 14. He joins me next to discuss that and so much more right here on Coast Coast with myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Family Market. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 
100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Las Vegas for Ghost of Ghost Soups with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to be joined by Blake Lovell. He does such tremendous work over at Southeastern 14. I know that he has been locked in on everything that we've been seeing this college basketball season and does such an amazing job, not just with his SEC coverage, but his coverage all throughout college basketball. You're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at the Blake Lovell. That last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L and Blake it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Yep, always enjoy it, Greg. Yeah, it's like I said, conference play has started, and uh, with that always comes some fun and somewhat wacky results, for sure. Yep, it certainly has been wacky, and we have to dive in on this. We are doing this in advance of the Tuesday game, so we are unsure if Texas A&M was able to get up off the mat or not, but in my opinion, they've been the biggest surprise in the SEC, which I think is saying something, because you got South Carolina at 13-1, and one, Ole Miss at 13-1, and one, but A&M has been my biggest surprise, and it's been a surprise to the negative. Them losing by 15 points at home to LSU, recognize that they've been dealing with some injuries, what have you, but what have you made out of the Texas A&M team that it just feels like this team isn't quite the same as they were a season ago, especially defensively? Yeah, that's the problem is that they're not, you know, defending as well. You know, that's kind of always felt like the thing that you could be sure of at times with Buzz Williams' teams is, you know, they're going to be pretty good defensively. They're going to be hard to play against just in terms of, you know, the style they play and those kind of things. But, yeah, this year it's probably average is probably the best way to put it. It may be good, you know, at times, but still a team that's not forcing a lot of turnovers. And I think that's something that, that doesn't help. You know, you think the was it, two seasons ago they made the run in the NIT or whatever. You know, they forced a lot of turnovers defensively, and that was kind of something that they could lean on. But, you know, with this team too, when you're not doing that and you're just not able to make shots from the perimeter – I mean, I called it today. We were doing some stuff, and I'm like, this feels like Mississippi State from last year minus the defense, where we talked about how Mississippi State was the worst three-point shooting team in the country last year. A&M's not far off at this point. I mean, they're shooting 26 27% from three, something like that. And I think when you just take that into account, when they find themselves in situations where they're just not making shots, I think they're like 15 to 79 or something in their last five games from three, that's a struggle. But the good news for AM, I guess, is they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. So even though they miss all these shots, they're getting a lot of second chance opportunities. And, you know, the Tyrese Radford thing where he's missed some games, just now trying to get back into the groove of things. Don't know if he's all the way back just yet. And the bigger issue, Greg, is their upcoming schedule. Like you said, we're doing this in advance of Tuesday's games. They're at Auburn. They got to play Kentucky. Then they go to Arkansas, who knows what to make of them. And they go back to this LSU team that just beat them by 15 at home. So not an easy start in these first five games for Texas A&M. They've got some work to do here. Yeah, it's been majorly surprising what we've seen out of A&M. And the big crux of the issue for A&M on defense has been their three-point shooting defense ranking well outside the top 200 with that regard. And having to go to Auburn, that's relatively rough. And I mean, just taking a look at that game. Again, this is going to be a result that is going to be done when this podcast uploads. They've been one of my biggest surprises in the country to the positive because for Auburn, 
They let that game slip away early on in the season against Baylor. Ever since then, this team has went 12-1. and They've been pulverizing teams, and this looks like the most complete team that Bruce Pearl has had in quite some time because even if you date it back two, three years ago, back when they did have the top five pick and Mr. Smith in the fold, and we all know what Jabari Smith is doing now in the NBA, he, it was a little bit of a top-heavy team. It just feels like this team has a lot more balance, and they really check so many different boxes. Yeah, the thing I keep saying about Auburn is I don't really see the weaknesses. Like, I don't know where they have one. And I think that is something that has been made very clear. I'd say their biggest weakness is probably still three-point shooting. But even then, you know, when you look at their percentage this year compared to what it was last year, I mean, they're shooting 34% this year. I think they shot 31 32% last year. So even that bump up two or three, you know, points there – that's significant for this team. And so, you know, and they're not really relying a ton on the three. And I think that's, you know, if you're breaking it down, free throws, two point, three point, that's still where they're getting, you know, the, the fewer amount of shots is from the perimeter. So if you take that out of the equation, they are just so good in so many different areas. And you said it, you know, if you look at Ken Baum, you look at all these different stats. I mean, they're a top 10 team offensively and defensively right now. The biggest takeaway is the word you said, Greg, is like they are pulverizing teams. Like they are not just beating teams. They are beating teams unmercifully. And, of course, what they did at Arkansas, I mean, historic win there to beat Arkansas on the road by 32 points in Bud Walton Arena, just not something we've seen teams do before. Doing that, you know, and just seeing, again, how this team has come along, I can remember back, you know, right after game one, Bruce Pearl's like, defensively, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, basically, it's like, hey, we've got to figure some things out on the defensive end. Well, they've done that since then. I mean, they have been really, really good on that side of the floor. It helps when you probably have the best player in the SEC right now in Jani Broom. Everybody else, though, I, I think at this point, Greg, we talked about depth in the SEC coming into the season. I think Tennessee's right there. You know, other teams may be putting that conversation, but I think at this point, Auburn's the deepest team in the SEC, one of the deepest teams in the country. They look really, really good right now and seem to be a team that, you know, not just saying, hey, we might be in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. This might be a team that's, you know, good enough to advance to a Final Four. Yeah, this Auburn team, I really love what I'm seeing out of them. And right now they are looking like one of the creams of the crop out there in the SEC. As joining me on the show, we do have Mr. SEC, Blake Lovell, who does gr- such great work over at Southeastern 14, joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And then a game that we are going to be seeing for Wednesday, I think that this is just such a fascinating game. It is going to be that Ole Miss versus Florida game because with Ole Miss, they take their first loss of the season. And I always think it's very telling when you've got a Vegas line with an Ole Miss team that's undefeated going to Tennessee over the weekend, and they were a double-figure underdog, and it was very much warranted with the way that they lost that game. And for Ole Miss, it felt like they were sort of living on borrowed time with regards to taking that first loss. But for Ole Miss, do you think that's actually maybe a little bit of a good thing that they took that loss because now they've got the pressure off of them? And how do you foresee them playing this game against a Florida team that I just was expecting more out of the offense? And if the Florida scores quite a few points, they don't do so very efficiently. And on the flip side, they give up quite a few points because they are taking a bunch of wild threes. Yeah, that's the thing with Florida. Is like you can watch that, that game against Kentucky and see how it played out. And like I, I think just seeing Florida play a lot this season, I'm like, they had, you know, the best half they played all season in the first half and they hit eight threes and I'm like, this is just not something that I think is going to be sustainable in the second half because when you looked at it, I think there are only two or three other games this season where they've hit more than eight threes in the entire game. So you just kind of felt like it was going to revert back to that. And I think this does make for an interesting matchup. You said something that I've been sort of thinking about and wondering, is it great for Ole Miss just to take this right away? Like play Tennessee, play what is probably the best team in the SEC, top five team in the country, play them right away and immediately figure out, okay, guys, you know what the speech is Chris Beard's given. It's like, we were 13-0 and and we just saw 
that doesn't mean a whole lot when you start playing teams like this. And so gets your attention immediately, and you understand what it's going to take if you're going to be a team that makes the NCAA tournament and make this 13-0 and start mean something, you're going to have to get better in a lot of areas if you want to compete with a team like Tennessee. But like you said, it's a great setup, I think, against Florida, who comes in feeling pretty deflated, I would think. They played well, and I came out of it feeling pretty good about Florida. But the problem is, if you're going to be a team like the Gators, who have struggled in some of these areas, they still struggle from the free throw line. Now you're going on the road to play an Ole Miss team that is going to try to grind you a bit. And we know these styles are just completely different, essentially, at times in terms of how these two teams play, it does make for an interesting matchup. And I think it's an important matchup, right? Because these are two teams that are now sitting here at 0-1. You know kind of what the upcoming schedule looks like. I think Florida gets Arkansas at home, but then they got back-to-back road trips, play Tennessee and Missouri. And then you look at kind of, again, where Ole Miss is at right now after a great start. Then they've, I think they've got to play Vanderbilt at home, who seems to be getting better. Then they've got two road games against LSU and Auburn. Again, two teams that are certainly trending in the right direction. So, it's a big game for both of these teams, and I feel like this is one where let's see who is able to kind of control the tempo here. That might be what makes the difference. Yep, absolutely. And with this Ole Miss team, we want to see a little bit more defensively out of them as well, giving up 90 points to a much improved Tennessee offense is something that really catches my eye. And I know that, Blake, you have been someone that has been quite high on Tennessee, and there were some bumps in the road for Tennessee. I'm looking at that game in which I gave up 60 points in the first half against North Carolina, a little bit less than Savory, but it really feels like over the last month or so they've been able to figure it out. I don't know which game it was. Perhaps it was the George Mason game. Perhaps it was the Illinois game. But ever since then, this team has really been on a roll. I just mentioned the fact that they took down Ole Miss way that they did. Now they do have to go up against the Mississippi State team, by the way, that has Solo Smith back to fold. So that is going to be a whale of a game for Wednesday. But what do you make out of really both of those teams that we're going to be seeing on Wednesday? Because both of these teams have had bumps in the road. But I look at both of these teams, and they still have tremendous defenses. And both teams have elevated their offenses from past years as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the biggest difference. I think when you're looking at this team for Tennessee and comparing them to some of the recent teams, you know, other than the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield team, that was probably what, 2018-19, you know, that team was just fantastic on the offensive end. But, you know, they weren't as good defensively. Like, they were good, but they weren't like, you know, top 10 level defense that year. But now, you know, again, in recent seasons, it's always been the frustration, right? It's like, you know, Tennessee's going to hit these stretches where they just don't score. And they could have one of those at Mississippi State on Wednesday, because as you know, Greg, that's not an easy place to play. We've seen a lot of teams going to Starkville. And really, again, Mississippi State just kind of grind them out make them play their style. And I think that's what Chris Jan is going to try to do in this one. You know, again, this is going to be one of those games where if you look at Mississippi State, you know, you see how they played against South Carolina immediately. One of the things I think that stands out is that, okay, you go three of 13 from three on the road, you know, in that kind of situation. And so you start to see them backtrack a little bit three-point wise. They're not as bad as they were last year, but they are going to still need to be able to have that, um, you know, at their disposal if they're going to be able – because. Right, we know, too, teams are going to be putting attention on Tolu Smith now that he's back in the fold. So you think of it from a matchup standpoint, there are probably are going to be a lot of teams daring Mississippi State to try to beat them for three because it worked last year as a formula. It probably still works to an extent this year, and they turned the ball over a little bit this year, too. They've got to fix that a little. And, and again, that's not a great that's not a great setup when you're playing a team like Tennessee. These are two teams that I keep going back to it, right? It feels like these two teams are going to win a lot of games the rest of the way just because they are going to defend better than probably most teams in the SEC, maybe outside of Auburn. They're just going to make it a grind at times. But the difference is, like you said, they both seem to be better on the offensive end. So even if they are in situations where the other team's hitting shots, you feel like they can counter that a little bit better this year, whether it's with a Josh Hubbard stepping up from Mississippi State, 
or Dalton Connect being able to step up for Tennessee or anyone else really on that Tennessee team right now, that they've kind of hit a groove, it seems. Yep, they certainly have been able to hit a groove, and I am going to be thoroughly fascinated by what we do see in that game on Wednesday as well between two very rock-solid defenses. A pair of teams that have found a little bit more three-point shooting, so and it's going to be a lot of fun to be able to dive in on. As joining me on the show, we do have Blake Bubble, who does absolutely tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And Blake, when it comes to what we are seeing in terms of SEC play thus far, what have you really made out of it? Because we've taken a look at a few teams that we've been surprised about to the positive and the negative, and we're about a week, week and a half in. But have there been any real takeaways slash anything that you've noticed that's been a little bit different this year about SEC play rather than what you've seen in past years? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Greg, I think it's probably kind of a similar theme in that I I feel like there are teams offensively that feel pretty good about where they're at. And, you know, sometimes in SEC play in recent years, we've kind of turned into, boy, some of these games are going to be ugly. Some of these games are going to be a rock fight. And you're you're still going to get some of that because I do think some of these teams are going to get better defensively. But I almost feel like it's kind of a year where the offenses may sort of reign supreme in some of these, right? Because like we said, you're talking about Tennessee, Mississippi State, They've gotten better offensively. We've talked about Auburn, Kentucky. Look at what they're doing on that end of the floor. Florida's better offensively, I think, than they are defensively. Alabama, we can certainly say the same thing for that. Alabama certainly has a case to be the best offensive team in the country. So when you just kind of break it down that way, I mean, look at what South Carolina's done too, right? Think about how far they've come. And they're a top 50 offensive team right now. It makes for kind of a a really fun, I think, league this year where you're going to see a lot of really good offensive talent on display And you may not see as many sort of elite defensive teams as we've seen in recent years, again, outside of maybe less than a handful of teams, whether it's Tennessee, Mississippi State, Auburn, teams like that. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest difference in terms of seeing how games play out this year. You feel like there's going to be more higher scoring games. You've already seen some of that already. I feel like, you know, that makes for exciting basketball in a league where, again, at times you've seen some of those, uh, you know, 60 to 58 games, 50 to 48 type games. We've seen a few too many of those maybe in recent years. Oh, we certainly have seen a few too many of those. And, you know, we did see a few blasts from the past in the SEC over the weekend with Arkansas scoring 51 points. We saw Texas A&M score 53 as well. And Blake, I do need to ask you about that as well. What do we make out of this Arkansas team right now? Because we see it time and time with Arkansas. They always struggle a little bit early, and I feel like we say it every year as well. It's like, man, it feels like it's getting later and later with regards to the rise, and I just don't know what to make out of this team right now because I'm not surprised that they lost to Auburn. That's a forgivable loss, even though it was at Bud Walton, but the fact that they scored 51 points in that game – I just can't remember Arkansas in January ever looking quite this bad. Even last year where I felt like I never recognized this Arkansas team looking quite as bad in January until last year. This feels different, and I just was not expecting to say that with this team because you talked about it, Greg, going into the season. Like You could look at this roster and say, wow, like Muss has done it again. When you just looked on paper and you're like, okay, look at all the guys he's brought in. They all seem to fix some of the needs that they had, improve three-point shooting. You've got your defensive stopper back in Devo Davis. You've got Trevin Brazil back, one of the best players in the league at his best. All of these things just seem to connect where you're like, this is it. Like, maybe they're not going to have those stretches this year. Well, they started early this year, not just losing to UNC Greensboro, but just the way they lost to an Oklahoma, you know, North Carolina, games like that. Even games they're winning that have been close. You're like, oh, they should have played better there. But then you have this, and this is a new level. Like I said, we have not seen anything like what we saw on Saturday in that game against Auburn in the Eric Musselman era. And I think that is a little bit concerning. 
because you don't just come in and you know, it's, it's interesting, right? The first half, you think about how that game played out. If you just watch the first half and then all of a sudden you didn't watch the rest of it and you just want, you know, caught up on the score afterwards, you'd be like, what happened? Like, how did that happen? Again, I'm sure there's a lot of people watching that game that have a lot of opinions as to what just happened. But it's hard not to look at this for Arkansas and say, do they get this figured out this year? Because that's the kind of performance where, I mean, let's call it what it is. If you're talking about a team that feels like it just sort of bottomed out, that's it. That's the kind of performance to where you're almost like there's nowhere to go but up. But the problem is they don't have a very easy schedule to start SEC play. They got to go to Georgia. They got to go to Florida. Georgia is playing very well, as we know. Then they got to come home, play A&M, South Carolina, go to Ole Miss, play Kentucky after that. So Arkansas has so little room for error right now. If he does, he's not able to get their attention after that performance, then this is going to be essentially a lost season for Arkansas, which, um, again, I was just not expecting. Oh, no, I was not either. And I wasn't surprised when they took a few losses early on during the season, though the UNC Greensboro loss, I was a little bit off-putting as well. But, man, failing to get to 55 points over yeah. the weekend, that's just something that you don't expect. As Blake Lovell, who does such great work over at Southeast for 14, is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And certainly that's one of the biggest surprises in all of college basketball right now. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But looking outside the SEC, is there a team or two that stands out to you, whether it be to the positive or the negative that you take a look at? And you've been quite surprised by over the last few weeks. And they're going on your radar a little bit more, whether that be to the good or the bad. Yeah, I think, you know, Greg, again, there's probably quite a few teams you could choose from here. But me, it's a couple in these power conferences. And I think you start with Wake Forest, which is just, I mean, I think back to watching the game they played against LSU. That was all the way back in, I want to say, mid-November. You know, they lost that game in overtime. I think at that point they had moved to like two and three on the season, something like that. And they'd already lost to Georgia, too, by the way. I remember watching that game. But since then, you see what they've done. You know, they got the double-digit win against Florida. You see what they're doing now in ACC play, getting the overtime win against Miami beat up on Virginia Tech. I just really like what Steve Forbes put together there. You know, that's just a really good offensive team. You see the way they shoot the ball, very efficient, and it's just fun to watch them, I think, offensively right now. I mean, I don't know what the the stat is, Greg. I think they scored 82 or 83 or more, like, in their last six games or something. I really like the way that that Wake Forest team is playing. We've talked about Steve Forbes before, even back when he was at ETSU. I mean, that's a guy that can coach. There's going to be a lot of programs out there, I guarantee you. I would certainly like to have a look at Steve Forbes, maybe other places. Like, I just feel like he is someone that's going to be in high demand here moving forward based on what he's doing right now. And then the other one, I was very kind of keyed in on that Texas Tech and Texas game on Saturday. Of course, as you know, Greg, because Texas is going to be in the SEC next year and just kind of seeing, you know, where the Longhorns stand. But, I mean, you see what this Texas Tech team is doing right now. They've won, what, seven in a row, I think, at this point. Again, watching them play against Texas, seeing a lot of them, which they beat Vanderbilt, which at the time Vanderbilt was not playing well. We just kind of see what they've done this season, really outside that overtime loss at Butler, the game against Villanova. You know, that's another team that feels pretty balanced right now with what Grant McCaslin has done. We'll see how things continue to go as they start to get into the grind of Big 12 play. But those are two teams that I think just based on maybe what the preseason expectations were and how they're playing right now, hard not to be impressed with what uh, both of those coaches are doing with those teams. Oh, there is no question about it. And for Wake, it was looking a little bit rough for them towards the beginning part of the season because they were with uh, Efton Reed, they were dealing with injuries, and they have yet to get Tabari Monsanto back to the fold as well. When Tabari Monsanto comes back, that is a guy that's able to knock down threes as well, just like a man that is able to give out such great analysis and does such a good job looking at this sport. That'd be you, Blake. 
You're always appreciated on this podcast. You do tremendous work over at Celtics from 14. So love the good people at home. Know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, you can check out all of our SEC stuff on Southeastern 14 on YouTube. You can find us there. All my other stuff for college basketball related uh, on Twitter slash X at the Blake level. Blake does such an incredible job taking a look at this wonderful game of college basketball. And it's always great to get him to lend his insights on this podcast. So big thanks to Blake for joining me on Cusco Soups. Now part of the Visa family podcast and coming next. It is that time to podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some fake shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. 
But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. of Tom Brady Stole the Show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. of Tom Brady Stole the Show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. And we're back here at Lobby Las Vegas for Cutsco Soups with myself, Greg Eaps Peterson, now a part of the Beats of Family Podcast. And it's always great to be joined by Blake Lovell. He does 
Such good work over at Southeastern 14. Take a look at this great game of college basketball. Obviously, as you can tell from the name, does such a good job taking a look at all these teams out there in the SEC. But on top of that, he does an incredible job just taking a look at all 362 D1 teams. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends tremendous insights to us in what is going to be a very fascinating SEC moving forward. So, big thanks to Blake for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. We go in time order with regards to the bigger conference games, and then these are the smaller conferences that will be at the bottom and in the extra games. This will be the Patriot League, the Atlantic Sun, the NEC, the Big South, and any games involving independence. That would be Chicago State. I do think that they're in play in this Wednesday slate, so those will be the games at the bottom. So let's get things started with 669, 670 on the betting board. It is IUPUI, Old EWPUI, playing those TUW Green Bay. Green Bay is a road favorite of seven points in your total on this game. It is 134 to 135, and semi-total at 130.5. I'm going to be looking at the under flat out. I just don't think that IUPUI is going to be able to do their part with this total. IUPUI is in the bottom 20 and darn near every offensive metric that you can find as Jalen Conner has done a nice job for the team. He's supplying 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, 2.5 assists, shoots 36.5% from three, but IUPUI is a bottom 75 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game, 14 and after an office game. They shoot 25% from three now. They actually do shoot 75% of the free line, so that's actually not too bad, but really, other than Jalen Counter along the Quanzie Samuels, who gives you five and a half rebounds per game, nobody else on the roster gives you north of 3.1 rebounds per game, so that should allow for Elijah Jones, who's been able to supply for the CW Green Bay team right around about six and a half rebounds per game to be able to win that battle, and then you've got Noah Reynolds, who's going to be by far the best player out there on the floor. Comes in from Wyoming, where he was a double-figure scorer last year in the uh, Mountain West. Has turned the ball for three times for contest, but shoots 36% from three. Three and a half boards, four assists, 18 points per game. Now, he and Jones are the only guys on the roster that are logging north of seven and a half points per game, but Foster Wonders has been able to give you a little bit more transfer from Southern Illinois. He's been able to make a few threes. And for UW-Green Bay, this team has really been able to do a solid job of batting down the hatches when it comes to their defense. As for UW-Green Bay, they have now allowed fewer than 65 points in three of their last five games. And one of those games was against a right state team that gave up 88 to them. So they've been able to do a great job on that front. Meanwhile, for IUPUI, it's just been an almighty struggle for this offense. If you look at D1 games, because they played quite a few games against non-Division 1 teams, the team has exceeded the 70-point plateau just twice this far this season. This is also a 9 o'clock a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time game. So this is going to be an early one. Typically, that helps out the home team a little bit. But with the way that IEPY is playing right now and the way the UW Green Bay, I'm not saying they're amazing on defense, but has really been able to buff up a little bit more defensively going up against an IEPY team that on top of their offensive woes on defense, they've now given up 75 plus in each other last three games. I think that it's going to be an almighty struggle with UW Green Bay playing slowly as well. I think that you get a low scoring game. Somebody told 130 and a half diving in on the under. If the UW Green Bay want to lay up to eight with them, made them an eight and a half point favorite. 671, 672 on the betting board. It is Penn State playing us in Northwestern. Northwestern does find themselves as a road favorite of between one and one and a half points. Throw on this game is there between 141 and a half and 142. Not willing to lay anything more than the one and a half. 
but going to be willing to lay it with Northwestern with this Penn State team. They've done a good job of being able to amp up their turnovers. Mike Rhodes always does a solid job of being able to get his teams to be able to force some turnovers. Ace Baldwin has been able to give you north of two steals per contest, chipping in there right around about 13 points per contest, and Kudis Wahab down low has been able to give you 8-plus rebounds per game, but it's a relatively rough state of affairs for a Penn State team that they're looking to play a different style in the Big Ten, and when you've got a team that is looking to zag while other teams zig, it typically either goes very, very well or very, very awfully, and there's really not a lot of in-between, and right now for Penn State, they are just getting lambasted night in and night out. Credit to them for being able to knock off Michigan, but yeah, Michigan is right now at a pit of misery, and for Penn State, they do rank 316th in the country in terms of rebound rate. This is a Northwestern team that they themselves have their issues on, though they're only about 245th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Bork Spineyer is the only guy on the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but Northwestern does a really good job of being able to take care of the ball, and they themselves are a top 50 team in terms of turnover Turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Each other, top four scorers, Barnizer, Boo Booey, Ty Berry, Ryan Langbord have all been able to give you at least a seal per contest. Langbord and Berry combined for 24 points on 42% three-point shooting, and then Boo Booey, mid-33-point shooter, but also does a nice job giving you five assists, 18 points per game, and late in games, you're able to feel very secure about this Northwestern team, which each other, top five scorers, shooting at least 73.3% at the free throw line. Northwestern, a top 15 team once again in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. I do think that they're going to be able to take care of the ball against a Penn State team that is really looking to rip the ball away. And to the credit of Penn State, offense has certainly been there for this team. They have scored at least 72 points and now each other last, I believe, eight games. But that said, this is a team that they have now given up at least 70 points at all but one of those games. And lone exception was against LeMoyne. Meanwhile, Northwestern has fallen outside the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. has been a little bit rough for them, but they're more of a slow and controlled team that I do think is going to be able to get up off the mat in this one, and it's a Northwestern team that actually has been able to do a little bit of a better job in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and their overall defense when they've been on the road rather than at home, as they're giving up right around about 2.4 points fewer per 100 possessions away from home rather than at home. So I do think that Northwestern going to be able to slow this game down a little bit. It is a Penn State team that you know that they're looking to play some solid defense. They're looking to be able to get things out of control. And I just think that Penn State is going to be able to stay in control. So I did set my line at two. I'm going to be willing to lay with Northwestern. I did set my total at 140. So diving in on the under and we'll take Northwestern. 673, 674 on the betting board. It is Providence. Say it throw They're facing off against St. John's. St. John's is a favorite of between six and six half points with your total 143 to 143 and a half with St. John's. Set them as a six half point favorite. Here at the six, it's a max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. Providence has actually looked just fine without Bryce Hopkins in the fold. Hopkins a very good scorer, and he certainly is missed on glass. That said, he was shooting less than 25% from three-point range as far this season, so that's been a little bit of an issue for a Providence team that still has a do-it-all player in Devin Carter that I like. Eight boards, three assists, steal and a half, 17 points per game among power conference players with at least seven half rebounds per game. I think that he's the only one that stands shorter than six foot six, so he's been able to do a nice job getting down low, getting those rebounds. Now, I do think that there's going to continue to be a little bit of regression with regards to this Providence team on offense just because they are turning the ball over 13 and a half times for contests and with Hopkins dealing with injury, that does hurt this team quite a bit. Whether or not he's going to be good to go in this game is very much questionable. Meanwhile, you've got a St. John's team that they should be able to control things on low George Soriano, giving you about 17 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds per game. St. John's has had their own turnover woes, about 12 turnovers per contest, but Dennis Jenkins, 6 assists, 13 points per contest. 
contest. I do love what he's able to bring to the table. And this is a St. John's team that they are quite a bit different when they are out there at either Karnasaka and or MSG rather than when they are in a road slash neutral court environment as well. This is a St. John's team that they shoot it pretty solidly from three-point range at home. They're shooting about 36.5% from three, 32.7% in a road slash neutral court environment. And they do have to go up against a Providence team that even when they've been without Hopkins, they've been able to do a very solid job on defense. This is a Providence bunch in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Seventh in all of college basketball. And in a road slash neutral court environment, they're still a top 15 team with this regard. It is a St. John's team, though, that has been able to bulk up a little bit with regards to their defense. St. John's down in the top 85 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis and a vastly different team at home, giving up 19.7 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road with guys like Gary Duell and company not necessarily stepping up for this bunch in Providence. And for St. John's, they're still trying to sort out roles for guys like Chris Ludlum, Jordan Dingle. Guys are used to just completely commanding things, but Ludlum giving you eight boards, 11 points per game, shooting in the high 30s from three-point range. Dingle being able to give you 10.5 points. It does feel like these guys have figured it out at Rick Pitino. He knows what the heck he's doing on the sidelines that has gotten this team firing all cylinders on offense with 80-plus points for their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Providence team that, in regulation, they really haven't allowed more than 72 points all season long. I do think that things are going to be slowed down a little bit with the St. John's offense, but I do think that they win from within with Joel Soriano along with Ludlum. So, did set my line at a 6.5. Here the 6 going to be one lay. Did set my total 142.5 as well, so also going under. 675, 676 on the bang board. Fort Wayne is going to be hitting the road face-off against Youngstown State. The Penguins waddle their way to being a 3.5 point favorite with your total 155.5 to 157. I say Youngstown State is only a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Youngstown State team that has really been able to improve their defense. Last season, they were pretty deplorable on the defensive side of things, and not to say that they're some sort of a world beater on defense, but they're about 148th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But this Fort Wayne team has really been able to put it together. The big bugaboo that Fort Wayne has had last few seasons has been the fact that while they do shoot really well from three-point range, they turn the ball over a little bit too much. They've been able to cut that down to right around about 10 turnovers per contest. They've really gotten some good play out of Rasheed Bellow. Comes in for a Division II UW Parkside, lone Division II school out there in the state of Wisconsin, by the way, but he's been able to do a really nice job of just giving this team what they need. 15 points, 4 assists, 2 seals. He doesn't shoot a ball from 3, but you've got two guys in Quentin Morton-Robinson, coupled with Jalen Jackson that are both bombing at north of 42% from 3 par range. Warren Robinson, two and a half assists, 13 points per contest. Jackson gives you 15 points per game. And under the radar for Fort Wayne, this has been one of the best road defenses in all of college basketball. Overall, a top 65 team turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. But if you look at them in a roadside shooter court environment, a top 20 team in all of college basketball going up against a Youngstown State team that they're just not shooting the same from three-point range this year as they did a season ago now. They do have a more dominant rebounder than they had a season ago. And DJ turned it up. Burns, he's been able to give you about 11 points, 8 rebounds per contest. So, do love what I'm seeing on that front. And this is a Youngstown State team that they're okay at being able to contain the three-point arc as this is a team that they're about league average with that regard. They're about 164th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage with having Brandon Rush, Ziggy Reed being able to give you about 25 points per contest. Reed has been able to shoot about 39% from three. And you've had Mr. Brett Thompson be able to shoot 30 38% from the outside, about 11 points per game, but it is a little bit of a top-heavy Youngstown State team. Meanwhile, with Fort Wayne, even someone like a Maximus Nelson has been able to do a solid job, contributing 7 points, shooting it very well 
from three par range. If there is a place where this IPFW EK Fort Wayne team can be at, it's a little bit on the glass. 343rd in the country with regards to rebound rate. And it's not SC2 terrific, but really outside of DJ Burns, not a ton for the Young Sun Sea team that is actually having a negative rebound rate at home thus far this season. So, did some other line at two. I'm going to be one to take Fort Wayne with the points. Don't really want them outright on the money line, but do you think that this is a nip and tuck game with Fort Wayne's improved defense? I think it's going to be a lower scoring slog. So, my total out of 152, going under and take the points with Fort Wayne. 677, 678 on the banging board. Furman plays us to the Citadel. Citadel is an 8 2 and 8.5 point underdog with your total between 147.5 and 148. And with the Citadel, set them as an underdog of 9.5 points. So, you're at an 8 2 and 8.5. Going to be one to lay with Furman. Now, for Furman, this team has been getting just absolutely smoked on defense. Bottom 75 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But Furman actually doing a relatively solid job on the glass. 102nd in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. They do go up against the Citadel team that has actually been able to do a solid job on that front. They bring in Quentin Malora Brown. He was a starter over at Vanderbilt two seasons ago. He's been able to give the team eight rebounds per game. And it's a big reason why the Citadel team is now a top 100 team with regards to overall rebound rate. But this the fact that the Citadel has been able to do a relatively solid job on the glass, and they do have two guys I really like in the backcourt as you've been able to get right in the neighborhood about 16 points per contest out of A.J. Smith, shooting 39% from three, and then Elijah Morgan, 46.5% three-point shooter, to be able to give you 14.5 points per game going up against the Furman team. That call what it is. They've been getting completely smoked from three-point range, but the Citadel, just because they play slowly doesn't mean that they play great defense. This team is right around about 185th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and befuddlingly, this is a team that is also giving up right around about 5.4 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. I do think that they're going to meet their match against a Furman team that, despite the fact that the defense has been absolutely deplorable, for one, it's been significantly better at home. They're giving up 18.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And for two, they're going to have the best guard out there on the floor in J.P. Piggs. I should say the most well-rounded guard out there in Mr. Piggs as he's been dealing with a little bit of injury but was able to return in that game against Chattanooga at 16 points, 11 boards, so he's ready to go. 18 points, 5 and a half assists, 4.8 rebounds on just 2.3 turnovers per contest for a Furman team that they're shooting 29.5% from three. They lost a lot of three-point shooting from a season ago, and they have been dealing with injury of their own as Marcus Foster has been out of the fold. He, a season ago, was a 36% three-point shooter. It's not been seen really since early December, but I do think that things are going to trend in the right direction for this team. You've got Carter with the transfer from Wake Forest, who's starting to get down the offense a little bit more. Three and a half assists, one and a half seals per contest. Do you like what I've seen out of him? And Furman, I do think, hit rock bottom when they took that loss against Anderson of South Carolina. That was a non-D1 school. The defense has been a little bit better recently. Offense now really leaving something to be desired in all irony as this team has failed to get to 75 points each of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got a Citadel team that they themselves have really had a tough time being able to bust through with their offense against Division One opponents because they have played their fair share of non-D1 teams. This is a team that has been held to 71 points or fewer in all but one of their games thus far this season. So, it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that Furman going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. I do think that the guards are going to start to hit some threes against a Citadel team that, once again, has been pretty solid on defense. They're a top 70 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but Furman has an uncanny way of being able to speed teams up, and I do think that the Citadel has a good chance to be able to get to that 71-72 point number in this game. So, I did set my total at a 149.5. I'm going to be looking at this 148 over, and with Furman, we'll to lay up to nine points with them. 679, 680 on the banking board. East Tennessee State is going to be playing us Western Carolina. And Western Carolina finds themselves in a pick'em game. Your total on this game between 141 and 142. Semi-total at a 140. 
141 have, mostly seeing 142 out there. And I would rather have the 142 under because you've got a pair of teams here in Western Carolina and East Tennessee State that they're really not looking to push the tempo, especially this Western Carolina team as they're building everything around Vitravius Woolbright. And Vitravius Woolbright has been tremendous. He's given you right around 20 points, chipping in their 10 plus rebounds per game, but you just need to find a little bit more other than Trey Jackson to be able to help him out. Jackson has been superb. Last year gave the team 15 plus points per contest. I've seen a little bit of a dip there. More like 13 or so points per contest, but he's able to shoot it well from three-point range, but for Western Carolina, 294th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. It's an ETSU team that they themselves are right around about 215th in the country, but for ETSU, they've been able to do a solid job defensively, about 140th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it's been a little bit of an issue for a Western Carolina team that overall they're about 134th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but we've seen things act up just a little bit for this bunch. I do think that they're going to have a bit of a tough time down low against someone like a Jaden Seymour, who's been able to do a nice job hauling in for the seam right around about six and a half rebounds per game, and has good versatility for Seymour. He's been able to shoot north of 35% from three-point range, and then you've got Karen Boyd, who's been able to give about seven and a half boards, eight points, and with this ETSU team, they've been able to hunker down just a little bit more with regards to taking care of the ball, about 12 and a half turnovers per game. Now, the 39.4% field goal shooting percentage, that's been a little bit of an issue, and they do go up against a Western Carolina team that enters having won seven straight games. A few of those games were against non-Division One teams, and a lot of these games have been very nip and tuck against Division One teams as well, but for ETSU, they themselves have given up 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, and the offense has been able to click a little bit more as well, scoring 80-plus in two out of their last three games against Division One opponents. E.B. Asimov has been a big reason why, 15.5 points, shooting 37.5% from three-point range, and they go up against a Western Carolina team that, in terms of three-point shooting defense, they do rank just 231st in all of college basketball. I think that that is going to be a big key in this game, and if ETSU could continue to do a relatively solid job on the boards because you do have a Western Carolina team that has a committee. They've been able to do a nice job 61st in the country with that regard. Meanwhile, for ETSU, though you've got two very good rebounders on the scene. They don't quite compare with that regard. 199th, but a better rebounding team at home rather than on the road. They should be able to get the job done, especially with Jaden Parker, giving you a block and a half for contest as the North Florida transfer. So, I did set this line to where I did set Western Carolina as a one and a half point road favorite. I do favor them just a little bit because that rebound rate is so good, because Vontavious Wolbright has been able to do such a nice job in terms of being able to provide the team what they need. And for ETSU, shooting under 30% from three-point range, that is a little bit concerning. So I did set Western Carolina as one-and-a-half-point favorite. Western Carolina also allowing opponents to shoot under 32% from three on the road. So we're looking there. And did semi total 141.5 with the tempo of these two teams. So at 142, looking under. And I like Western Carolina on this pick em line. 681, 682 on the banging board. Central Florida, boys goes to Kansas. Kansas is a 6.5 to a 7-point favorite. Your total on this game between 142 and 143.5 with Kansas, made my line 7. So, the 6.5 that I'm seeing is the max I'm going to be willing to lay, and I did see an opener of 6 as well. So, this is starting to move in favor of Kansas, but still see a little bit of value as I record this, as this is a Kansas team that they need to get some things figured out on offense. What are you going to be able to get out of guys like Nicholas Simberlake, Johnny Furphy, but the one thing that is dialed in with this Kansas team, how about the way that they are playing on defense? Overall, 31st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but in a road-slash-intercourt environment, 
went eighth in all of college basketball. Hunter Dickinson is going to be able to win that battle down low. This guy has been a double-double machine all season long. There's been no question as to what he's been able to provide for this team. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Central Florida bunch, and Central Florida has been able to do a really good job with their defense as well. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, number four in all of college basketball, just at home. They're a top 10 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. But for Central Florida, they have a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket from three-point range, shooting about 32.3% from three-point range as the transfer from Ball State, Jalen Sellers, last year shot 45% from distance, two years ago 44.5% from three, shooting 25.7% from the outside this season. You do have to feel like that is going to be ticking up, but quite concerning what we've been seeing on that front. You've got a 41% three-point shooter in Marcellius Avery, who's been able to do a solid job helping out the Central Florida team as well. And though this Kansas team is a little bit top-heavy, I just don't think that there's anyone on that Central Florida side that compares to Kevin McCuller. Seven boards, four and a half assists, seal and a half, 20 points per game on 36.5% three-point shooting. And Dickinson, he's not going to continue to shoot 53% from three, but got an incredibly efficient point guard in Dewan Harris. I want to see him shoot a little bit more. Shoots 48% from three, seven points, seven assists. He's literally averaging just as many assists as point. And then Marco Jackson, He's had his moments. You want to see him burst a little bit more, but you know that the ability for Kansas is there. They've been able to get really good production on the defensive side of things, and the offense has all of a sudden come alive as well. 73-plus points each out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Central Florida team that they themselves may have had a tough time gaining past the 70-point plateau as they have failed to do so in three out of their last five games. So this is a circumstance where I do think that the defense is going to really win out for both of these teams. I did set my total at a 139. I'm looking at the under. And with Kansas, one delay up to six half with them. 683, 684 on the betting board. Georgia Southern, it's the red face off against Marshall. And Marshall does find themselves as 11 and a half point favorites. So on this game between 151 and a half and 153. Got a Georgia Southern team that has one straight up win. And I think that that is going to be maintaining here. And I think that this is going to be another double figure loss. I did set my line at a 12 and a half. I'm going to be one delay. It is a Marshall team that has been less than savory in terms of their offense thus far this season, but we got a Georgia Southern team that they are even worse with regards to their offense. As for Georgia Southern, they just can't get anything right. They're well outside the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. 343rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as Tyra Moore is right now having to do it all for the team. Moore has been solid. 13 points per contest, shooting 49% from three-point range, but if he's even slightly off, this team is in doomsday mode. Going up against a Marshall team that has been able to do a good job down low. Obiana Unchele, Killian, 16 points, 6 half boards, block and half. He's now shooting 45% from 3 power range. Now, it is still a Marshall team that is leaving much to be desired from 3 power range here. Shooting his collective well below 33% from the outside. But Nate Martin, the transfer from Texas State, has really been able to fortify things down low for a Marshall team that, at home, they've got a rebound rate of 52.8%. Overall in college basketball, 168th with this regard. That should be way more than enough against a Georgia Southern team that they had Carlos Curry averaged 7 rebounds per game last season. Now they just glued him to the bench. I have no idea why. They're 327th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Camden Kerfpin, he's been able to help out this Marshall team as he's starting to find it from 3-point range once again, giving you about 34% 3-point shooting, double-figure amount of points per game. And then for Georgia Southern, they bring in Someone like a Eugene Brown, who was over at Ohio State last season. He just hasn't been able to see the floor too much. And when he has been out there on the floor, he's been relatively ineffective. The backcourt has been dealing with darn near everyone missing half the season due to injury. You just don't know who's going to be out there night in and night out. And that's really led to their perimeter defense being a completed other sieve as well as for Georgia Southern. 325th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And while this Marshall team is not doing the same job of being able to generate turnovers, 
this year as they have a season to go. Kishishan Vols, who comes in from Maryland Eastern Shore, he's been able to give you about 1.7 steals per contest. And for a Georgia Southern team that's turning the ball over 14 times for contest, dealing with an injury to Deuce Dean, I do think that that's going to be a big, giant issue for them. So this is a circumstance where I did set Marshall as a 12.5 point favorite one to lay it on Marshall. Still a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game, but I just don't know if Georgia Southern's going to be able to do their part with this total because they've just been so bad on offense. They've been so bad with regards to their defense. I mean, credit where credit is due. They knocked off Louisiana Monroe, but Marshall's starting to find it with their defense as well, giving up 75 points or fewer for their last five games. So, did sell my total at a 152 and a half to have an under with Marshall willing to lay up to 12 with them. 685, 686 on the betting board. It is right state, and they hope to be the right side on the road against Robert Morris, as Robert Morris does find themselves as a home underdog of between 5.5 and, and 6 points. So on this game, between 160.5 and, and 159.5, and, and I did set my total at a 160. We're right now seeing a lot of 161s popping up as well, as that was the opening number. So anything north of a 160, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under. Now it is a right state team has been deplorable on defense. 348th out of 362 Division One teams. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and it's not like it's Robert Morris team. Has necessarily been anything to write home about defensively either, as they're 248th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I do think that we're going to see a little bit of coolidge with regards to this right state offense. A right state offense that legitimately has been solid. 21st in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis in a roadside shit-to-corner environment that actually elevates into the top 15, but it's also a Robert Morris team that they just don't have a lot going on for them, especially th- from three-point range in the bottom 50 in the country with regards to a three-point shooting percentage. Robert Morris, 195th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. So, this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You've also got a Robert Morris team that legitimately doesn't play overly fast, and it's not like Wright State has been playing at warp speed. This team is actually outside the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. They just have been hitting everything with Tanner Olden, Trey Calvin, combining for 37 points per contest, shooting between the two of them right around about 43.5% from three-point range. This Wright State team should be able to do a solid job down the last Holden, along with A.J. Braun, Brandon Noel. They all give you between 5.6 and 7.5 rebounds per game. Then you get about five boards, nine points per game out of Alex. You can be a guest, C. Hopefully I said that correctly. Tough last name, but that said nine points, five boards. It's a top-heavy Wright State team, which is why they don't necessarily play super-duper out of control, but they go up against a Robert Morris team that they just haven't been able to do a great job down the and this is despite the fact that Marquis Hastings and Safan Walker have been able to combine for about 13.5 rebounds per game. It is a Robert Morris team that's really struggling in all aspects with regards to rebounding. And when it comes to guarding the perimeter, that's really the lone thing that they've done well on defense. They're allowing opponents to shoot 30.6% from three-point range at home. So I do think that that is going to cool down Wright State a little bit. But Wright State does a significantly better job of being able to take care of the balls. Robert Morris just has not been able to find that main facilitator as they're hoping that would be Justice Williams coming over from LSU, 12.5 points, 2.5 assists, but 2.7 turnovers per game, 14 turnovers as a collective for Robert Morris, shooting about 32% from three-point range, and for Wright State, it certainly has been out of control for this defense, as for Wright State, they have given up 70-plus points in, I believe, every single one of their games, except for that game against Illinois State thus far this season, so that has been wild. Meanwhile, you've got a Robert Morris team that they themselves have been all out of control with regards to both their offense and their defense. This is a bunch that they've not been able to get to at least 75 points so far in their last five games. Very much a byproduct of playing the likes of UW-Milwaukee, IUPUI, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, and company, as this is still not necessarily too up-tempo of a team. I do think 
that with Robert Morris. They're going to do a nice job being able to guard the three-point arc, but I do think that Wright State is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. I do think that being able to generate some second and third chances with A.J. Brown, Brandon Noel, and company is going to win out for a Wright State team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job on the glass. They are about 85th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. You've got a Robert Morris team that's 222nd, and I think that that's going to be the difference in the game. Zits at Wright State as a six-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay up to five and a half with them. I do think we're going to see a little bit of three-point shooting regression, sub by 160, so also diving under. 687, 688 on the betting board. St. Joe's hopes to not be average. Joe's on the road against St. Louis, and St. Louis is an underdog of between five and six points. Your total is between 151 half and 152. Did semi-line at a five and a half. So at six, that's my buy point on St. Louis. St. Louis has had a tough time being able to get things going, but it does feel like they've been able to fortify themselves a little bit, and it feels like they've just been able to find their sea legs in general, for lack of a better term. It is a St. Louis team that is going to have a little bit of a tough time on the glass here in 42nd in the country in terms of overall rebound rate, and they go up against the St. Joe's team that they've just been so stout defensively. We all want to talk about St. Joe's and this offense. They've been one of the better three-point shooting mid-major teams in all of college basketball, and St. Joe's legitimately has been a very efficient offense as well. 75th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis overall, but if you look at them in a road-slash-shoot-record environment, this team elevates into the top 35, so I've been very impressed there, but in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, that's really where the St. Joe's team has thrived. 26th in the country. Problem is, they are giving up about 18.8 points more per 100 possessions in a road-slash-shoot-record environment rather than at home, and this is a St. Louis team that can crank up the tempo on you. you got Gibbs and Jimerson, who's able to give you 16.5 points from three-point range, shooting 36.5% from the outside. And for St. Louis, they do as a whole shoot about 37.3% from three-point range. They do have to go up against a bunch in the St. Joe's team that has been able to do a relatively solid job with Rashier Fleming now being able to give you some plus rebounds per game. That has been a big, giant struggle for the St. Louis team. So you do have your issues there. But that said, for St. Louis, they've had to mix and match ever since Sincere Parker has been out of the full due to injury. I know that Mike Meadows has been in and out with regards to his facilitation as well, but the freshman in Sion Medley has been able to do a nice job, giving you multiple assists, giving you a little bit defensively as well, not too much of a score, but does shoot about 33% from three-point range. Now for St. Joe's, Eric Reynolds has been awesome. 17 points, three assists, shoots 41% from three for a St. Joe's team that they should have collective about 36.5% from three, and then Lynn Greer has been able to do a nice job of teaming up with Xavier Brown for a combined about seven and a half assists per contest. These two guys combined for about 24 points per game, and for St. Joe's, it's really all about that starting five. Your main five will be able to give you at least 11 points per game, every one of them. Nobody else on the roster really gives you north of 5.3 points per game, and with the way that St. Louis has had to operate, they've got so many interchangeable pieces that I do think that those different looks actually makes them a little bit stronger. I do think that St. Joe's, 25th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. It's solid. They've been a little bit fortunate with some of that shooting, though, and I do think that St. Louis could be able to buckle down as they're allowing opponents to shoot just 29.5% from three-point range at home. So this is a spot where I'm going to be one take six plus here with St. Louis. Set my line at a five and a half. So this is a spot where I'd rather take six rather than lay five. And with regards to Soto, did set mine at a 147 half as I do think that there's going to be a little bit of coolage with the St. Joe's three-point shooting percentage and St. Louis not necessarily playing at warp speed with all the injuries. So looking at the under and going to be one take the points with the Billiken. 689, 690 on the betting board. It is Temple and we give our Odelaine Kiffin go. I will say playoffs to East Carolina. East Carolina is a two to a two and a half point underdog with your total 141 to 141 and a half. And with East Carolina, I did set them as a two-point underdog. So, not 
now that we're getting to two and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's an East Carolina team that has been playing quite slowly. They're outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. And if you look at the overall season numbers for East Carolina, they're not good on defense. They're in sixth in the country, but if you take out the games in which Brandon Johnson was either dealing with illness or was completely out of the fold. This has been more of a league average to a slightly above average defense, and they go up against a Temple team that they themselves have had their issues on defense, especially at home, allowing opponents to shoot just 35.4% from three-point range, and though East Carolina certainly has been giving up some open three-point looks as well, this is a Temple team that they just have not been able to knock down their shots. You've got for Temple a guy, Michael Piccarelli, who's been able to give you about 34, 35% three-point shooting. He's been able to do a relatively okay job for this Seaman for Temple. You do have a lot of interchangeable pieces. Someone like a Heisier Miller has been nice with 17 and a half points. Four and a half assists per contest. Down low, you do have Sam Hoffman, who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game. And for the Temple team, you actually do have four separate guys that have been able to contribute at least five and a half rebounds per game. But for Johnson, he's been able to do a very solid job, being able to give you about 14 points, eight boards. He chips in there amid 33 point shooting percentage. RJ Felton has also been able to give you 16 plus points per contest. As really for East Carolina, each of your top three scores have all been able to give you at least five and a half rebounds per game. And then you've got Bobby Pettiford, who's got an assist to turnover ratio that hovers right around three. He's been able to do a nice job chipping in there about nine points. Shoots in the low slash mid-30s from three-point range. So I do like what all these guys have been able to bring to the table. And it is a Temple team that, despite the fact that you've got those guys that give you five-plus rebounds per game, they're just 254th in the country. In terms of rebound rate, East Carolina more around about 130th, though they have had their struggles on the road with this. But I do think that for Temple, because they're not necessarily stout inside, and because, I mean, this is an Adam Fisher coach team. He comes over from Penn State He's supposed to be instilling three-point shooting. They just haven't done a lot of that. This is a Temple team that's just out of sorts right now. So I do like East Carolina taking the points. I don't want them outright on the money line, but I think that this is a nip and tuck game. So set my line at two, being able to get two and a half. I'm going to be looking at those points. I did set my total at a 142 as well. I do think that you get just enough offense with both of these teams outside the top one in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis and a Temple team that's in the top 75 in terms of total possessions to be able to get this game over. So looking at the over and the points with East Carolina. Carolina. 691, 692 on the betting board. It is Charlotte. They play also Tulsa. And Tulsa does find themselves as an underdog of 7.5 points. Started on this game between 132.5 and 133.5. And with Charlotte, I did set them as a favorite of 7.5 points. So right now, sitting on my number, this was an opener of 7. And if we do get back to the opener of 7, and I'm seeing one or two out there right now, I'm willing to lay that with this Charlotte team. Tulsa has really good metrics. They're still a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But what scares me about Tulsa is two things. For one, they have played against one of the most Sherman soft schedules in all of college basketball. And for two, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they are a bottom 50 team in all of college basketball. With north of 15 turnovers per game, they were relying upon bringing in quite a few guys from Louisiana Tech to be able to help this team out. And certainly they've been able to get some nice production out of transfer P.J. Hagerty. He's been able to give you about 17.5 points per contest. And I do like what you're able to get when he's out there on the floor from Kobe Williams, who's been able to give you about 12.5 points per contest. Shoots in the low 30s from three-point range, but Kesson Wills was coming over to play for Coach Eric Conkle as well after he coached him up over at Louisiana Tech two seasons ago. He's only been out there for two games, has been dealing with injury, and he should be out of the fold once again now. Tulsa, they've been able to do a nice job gambling for seals and being able to get them nine seals per contest, and they do a nice job shutting down the three-point arc, but this is a Charlotte team that they're in control, and they really don't rely upon the three ball too much, which is a little bit of a changeover from what we saw last season. Last season, this was a Charlotte team that was very much based around three-point 
three-point shooting. Now they're only shooting in that neighborhood about 31% from three, but that said, they've been able to get quite a bit more down low with Igor Milicic being able to give you about eight and a half boards. He's shipping in there 12 points per game. Lucille Patterson has done a very solid job with about 14 points. It's a team that does a really good job with their interchangeable parts of being able to throw out the ball as you've been even able to get a little bit of something out of Isaiah Folks, who's been able to give you about two assists, a few points per game. He's really been able to elevate in the last few contests for this team as well as he's been averaging right around about two and a half assists to only about one turnover per game in the last five as well. With Milicic, he also shoots 35% from three-point range as well. And Charlotte, once again, playing at a very slow and controlled rate. This is a bunch that has given up 68 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Do have to wonder if they're feeling a little bit high after that big win that they were able to pull off against Florida Atlantic. But I do think that Charlotte is going to be able to say even keel here. I do think that they're going to be able to do also a pretty solid job on the glass as well. This team is just 206th in the country with that regard, but their rebound rate more around 53.7% at home compared to 46.5% on the road. Tulsa being outside the top 230 with this regard. And Tulsa, I think being doing for some three-point shooting regression as well is going to lead to this Charlotte team being able to get the job done. So being able to get seven or less, I'm going to be one to lay this summer. I do think that we continue to get slogs with this Charlotte team. Did some a total at a 133 and a half. Here at the 132, 133, I'm going to look over as you do have a Tulsa team that is in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And I do think that that three-point shooting defense is going to regress. So, going to be taking a look at the over. Also, you have late game following as a option as well. And I'm going to be one to lay up to seven with Charlotte. 693, 694 on the betting board. It is Northern Kentucky, and they're going to be hitting the road facing off against Oakland. And the Grizzles find themselves as four-point favorites here. Total on this game in between 148 and a half and 149. Did set my total out of 144. I'm diving in on the under. You've got two teams that are really slowing down their tempo. They're not necessarily efficient on defense. Either of these teams within the top 175 turns points a lot on a per-possession basis in Oakland. Their Achilles heels popping up once again. They're back outside the top 250 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. But that said, I just don't think that you get enough possessions to be able to go over in this game. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under Northern Kentucky. 226th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got an Oakland bunch that they're clocking in two 242nd, which is really a downtick with regards to their tempo from a season ago. But I did set Oakland as a seven-point favorite, and the big reason why is that Northern Kentucky just has not been able to get a lot of rebounding. Last year, they were completely reliant upon Chris Brandon, who was able to give them nine and a half rebounds per game. Ever since he has been out the fold, they have yet to really find that guy and say able to give them north of five and a half rebounds per game. Meanwhile, this is an Oakland team that they should be able to control the boards with Trey Townsend and everything that he's been able to give this bunch of team and a half points, 7.8 boards, three and a half assists, and does shoot 30 6% from three-point range. It's really been on one recently. A-plus rebounds at each of the team's last four games, and that's something that I don't think that a Northern Kentucky team that only shoots about 32% from three, 69% the free throw line is able to compare to. Now, Northern Kentucky, they play a lot of games with a lot of turnovers as well, which is also why I do look at this total under, because I do think that there's going to be a lot of dead possessions for Northern Kentucky. They turn the ball over about 13 times for contest, but they generate nine seals as well, with Sam Vincent being the main man. Five rebounds, three assists, two and a half seals, 13 half points per contest, and then your main scorer, Marcus Warwick, is able to give you about 20 points per contest, but this is a bunch that I thought was going to get a little bit more out of the Marquette transfer in Keon Itajiri, who's only been able to give you about 7.5 points, 5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, this is an Oakland team that they continue to have Rocket Watts just not be very useful for this bunch, but who I really do like for the team, Blake Landman. He was out of the fold for a little bit due to injury. Ever since he has returned, the team has really been able to elevate with their offense. They've been able to get past the 75-point plateau in each of their last three games. For Mr. Landman, he's been able to shoot 37% from three-point range. It is an Oakland team that still is leaving a little bit of something to be desired from the outside, but you've been able to have a good team in terms of being able to match on the boards. Meanwhile, for North
Northern Kentucky. If you take a look at them in terms of overall rebound rate, it has been very rough. 270th in all of college basketball. I think that that is a place where they're really going to get lambasted. And the big key for this Oakland team is that they know that they're going to give up their threes. They need to be pretty rock solid with regards to driving teams inside, forcing them to be able to take some twos, and they themselves being able to execute on this shot for Northern Kentucky. 252nd in all of college basketball. An opponent's two-point shooting percentage. Oakland, they're more around 246. But I do think that with Oakland, they're going to be able to do just enough inside to be able to get the job done, which is why I did set them as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. And with both of these teams playing at a slower tempo, did set my total 144. So, diving in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Oakland. 695, 696 on the betting board. It is a Liberty, and old Liberty Biberty is going to be playing us to Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State does find themselves as an underdog of 10 points. Your total on this game is saying between 127.5 and 128. And with Liberty, I did make them a favorite of 16 points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. For Jacksonville State, they've been able to do a solid job on defense. This is a team that ranks in the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession base but now they have to face off against the Liberty team that they're just so well-rounded. A top 100 team in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis for Liberty. They can be had a little bit more inside when they're on the road, but at home they allow opponents to shoot just 41.8% from two-point range. That is a mark that ranks in the top 45 in all of college basketball. They go up against a Jacksonville State team that has been relatively solid in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc, but you can tell that this is a Jacksonville State team that's just not the same when they're in a road slash shoot record environment rather than when they are at home as for Jacksonville State overall this season right around 48th in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage but that rises by about 4.2 percent when they're in a road slash shoot record environment and now they have to face off against a Liberty team where the hole is greater than some of its parts this season they've lost Sirius McGee their top scorer from a season ago but you've got Kyle Rohde who just provides winning plays for the team he gives you like 13 points he gives you like five boards three assists at six foot seven he's able to bomb it from three-point range they go up against the Jacksonville State team that they just need to get a little bit more support around Kai Kai Tandy, who's been tremendous. Coming in from Xavier, 19 and a half points. He's able to shoot 41% from three-point range, but it's a Jacksonville State team that is in the bottom half of all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 14 times for contests. Outside of Tandy, you don't have a single other guy that gives you north of 8.7 points per game, as Quincy Clark is giving you three assists, right around eight and a half points per contest, and Marcellius Brigham, Alondra Ron Purdue, have been able to combine for about 11 rebounds per game, but I do think that they're going to be getting lambasted down low as well as you've got so many guys that are able to do a solid job for this Liberty team of falling in their rebounds. You really don't have any primary rebounder other than Mr. Joseph Van Zandt, who's been able to give you right around about eight or so rebounds per game. Liberty, though, 57.5% rebound rate at home. That is a top 50 mark in all of college basketball. They go up against a Jacksonville State team that, despite the fact that they don't have that one fortified rebounder, they are about a top 50 team in terms of overall rebound rate, but I do think that for this Liberty bunch, they're going to be able to do a solid job holding up with their own three-point shooting as well as for this Jacksonville State team. They can be had quite a bit more down low with Liberty having so many guys that are able to piecemeal things together, being able to shoot it from three-point range, something like a Bodie Pebbles being able to give you double figures, shooting north of 37% from three-point range, and this is a Liberty team that as a whole, they're a top 50 team in terms of overall three-point shooting percentage and when it comes to the way that they defend the three-point ball, especially at home, they've been able to do a relatively solid job with that regard. Opponents are shooting just 28.8% from three point range at home against Liberty. So it is a circumstance where I did set my line at a 16. I do think that Liberty going to be able to utilize that so slow and controlled style and just dominate this Jacksonville State team. And I do think that Jacksonville State are going to be having a tough time with this Liberty team that with regards to their offense, they have been able to get to at least 79 points in three of their last five games. And for Jacksonville State, they themselves have heated up a little bit with their offense, 70 plus points at each other.
their last four games. So did sell my total 128 here at a 127 half. Looking at the over, and I'm going to be on a lay with Liberty. You set them as a 16 point favorite. Now you have my DK Network right to pick 697, 698 on the betting board. Tennessee it's the road face off against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a home underdog of two points. Your total on this game in between 139 and a half, and now this has ascended to as high as a 141, and hopefully this can continue to climb as the opener was 138 and a half, and I am oppo taco on this one. My DK Network right up that is going to be on the under in this spot. You've got two teams that are in the top 15 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and I do think that there's going to be a lot of one-and-done sort of possessions in this game, as these are two of the better teams in the country with regards to rebound rate. Mississippi State, they're able to elevate even further to their top 25 mark in terms of rebound rate without getting Tolu Smith back in full. For Tolu Smith, 14.5 points, 6.5 boards as far as the season after last year. He was the team's top scorer. He had north of 15 points, logged north of 8 rebounds per game, but it's not like he necessarily did a lot to be able to elevate the offense. Last year, Mississippi State was well outside the top 150 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They've actually been a little bit better this year, ranking more around 95th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Big reason why is that they're not dead last in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage anymore. Big thanks to Josh Hubbard who's been able to give the team 14.5 points, shooting now 38% from three-point range as a true freshman, but I do think that for Mississippi State, they're going to be able to do a solid job down low with having Jimmy Bell along with Cameron Mashes views still being able to combine for north of 15 rebounds per game, but that said, I do like Tennessee in the spot just because with Tennessee, They've been able to sort things out a little bit more with their offense. They've gotten to at least 74 points and had six out of their last seven games. But if you look at the defenses that they played, all but one of them, the defense that they played against in Illinois, they are all outside the top 80 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So they have been beating up on letter competition. I like what I'm seeing down low out of Toby Awaka. Not necessarily giving you a ton in terms of scoring, but he has given the team 11 plus rebounds in two of the last four games. You've been able to get really good facilitation as well out of Zakai Ziegler. Right around nine points. Points, five assists per contest, and it's a Tennessee team that's now shooting about 34% from three-point range. It's not amazing, but you know what? It's better than what it has been in past years with bringing in Jordan Ganey and Dalton Connect, especially Connect, as he has been connecting from three-point range. 15 points gives you 36% from distance. I do think that Mississippi State is going to have a little bit of a tough time there. And for Tennessee, they do a better job of being able to maintain the ball. Both of these teams rank right around 90th to 100th in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis, so they're good, not great with that regard but Mississippi State, they do shoot themselves in the foot a little bit more. Nearly 13 turnovers per contest. Tennessee, more like 10.5 turnovers per game, with Zakai Ziegler being able to chip in there. Those five assists per contest has really been able to elevate with that regard. Your side, Jordan James, is also just a sad sheet sufferer. 11.7 boards, seal and a half per contest. And for Mississippi State, this has been a team that they themselves have had their ups and downs with regards to their offense, but the defense has remained constant for them. They've given up 68 points or fewer in all but two of their games as far of this season. It is a Tennessee team that though they've been scoring quite a bit, this team has really been able to buckle down with their defense as well after they gave up the 60-point first half against North Carolina. was really a wake-up call for them as they have now given up 70 points or fewer in six out of their last seven games and each other last five. I think that this is going to be a slow-moving defensive slog. Both of these teams relatively mid-tempo. You've got Mississippi State right around about 200th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Tennessee, 155th, but with both of these teams playing as superb of defense as they are, I do think that you get yourself another nice under between these two. So my DK Network write-up is on the under. I set my total at a 133. And with Tennessee, I'm going to be willing to lay the summer. Set them as a three-point favorite. So want to lay the deuce. 699, 700 on the betting board. UMass plays host of LaSalle. And LaSalle is exploring a cover as a... Uh, 
underdog of 10 to 10 and a half points total on this game saying between 153 and a half and 154 and a half and with LaSalle I did set them as an underdog of eight points so I'm going to be willing to take these points and I really do like what I'm seeing on the CUMAS team especially down low you've got a nice two-headed monster in Matt Cross along with Josh Cohn who have been able to combine for about 14 and a half to 15 rebounds per game Cross has been your main score with about 16 and a half points per game and that has led to UMass being a top 40 team in all of college basketball in terms of percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound this is a UMass team as also a top 50 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis but I do think that LaSalle is going to be able to match up well because they've done a nice job being able to value the ball. Only about 9.9 turnovers per game. This is a Fran Dunphy coach team so you know that they're going to be smart and now you've got Jamari Brakis along with Andres Moreiro who have both been able to shoot it well from three-point range. They're both shooting between about 43 to 44% from distance with Moreiro. He's been able to give you about 8 points per contest with Brakis. He's a little bit of a do-it-all guy. 5 assists, 14 and a half points, 1.8 seals per game. Now, LaSalle is going to get smoked down though. You've got Deshaun Shepard who's been able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game, and Rockus Josias has been able to give you about 5.5 rebounds per game. Other than that, you really don't have guys to be a matchup down low with this UMass team, but with this LaSalle team, they've been able to do an okay job defensively. I'm not saying that they're amazing or anything like that, but they go up against a UMass team that's only shooting right about 32% from 3 point range. Shul Diggins has been able to give you about 11.5 points, shoots it okay from 3 point range for LaSalle with regards to a 3-point shooting defense. That has really been the main kryptonite of the team at 284th, but on the road, they only allow opponents to shoot about 33% from three. It's really been at home where they allow opponents to shoot 38% from the outside. So I do think that they're going to be fine from the perimeter. So you might seem that they rank in the top 95 in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percent as well. So it's a very interesting ordeal. As you've got a LaSalle team has been looking to crank up the tempo a little bit more. UMass, they're running it. They're gunning it. They're forcing a lot of turnovers. They've really been able to push teams really outside of their comfort level a little bit. So I did set my total at 154. Right now we're seeing a lot of 153.5s and I would be willing to take a look at the over, especially with the way that LaSalle is able to value the ball. It's a LaSalle team that has been acting up with their defense against Division One competition. This team has now given up at least 70 points in each of their last four games. Meanwhile, you do have a UMass team that they had that 64-60 to 60 game against Dayton, which was very much slowed down prior to that 79-plus points in each of their previous four games. So I do think that things are going to crank up a little bit more with regards to their offense. So here at a 153.5 for less, looking at the over and bowling take double figures with LaSalle, set them as an underdog of eight. 7-1, 7-2 on the betting board. It is Louisville, and they hit the road. They're facing off against Miami. Miami is a 15 and a half to a 16-point favorite. Your total on this game is in between 157 and a half and 158. And with this Louisville team, I did set them as an underdog of 17 and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay with Miami. Do recognize that this is a Miami defense that certainly has left a little bit of something to be desired in recent years. But I've actually liked what I've seen a little bit more out of them recently as they do a really good job of defending bad teams. When they see these step-up games, it's not necessarily so great. But Miami has some of the more demonstrative home and road splits on defense that you're going to find in all of college basketball. They're giving up 26 points fewer per one hour possessions when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. And for Louisville, the team, whether they're at home, whether they're on the road, whether they're on planet Pluto, they have not been very good to say the least. They're about 240th in the country with this regard. It is a Louisville team that has a collective. They are also shooting less than 30% from three-point range. And Miami has really guarded the three-point arc really well. Louisville's lone hope of being a hold in this game is angry Brandon Huntley-Hatfield really control things down low. Nine points, eight and a half rebounds per game, but 
he other than Trey White and also you've been able to have Mikey James be able to combine for with White about 12 rebounds per game. They've been able to do a relatively solid job but I mean, past what you're getting out of these guys and Sky Clark with his 15 points per contest you have no depth whatsoever. You've got a Louisville team that turns the ball for 12 and a half times per contest they do a very poor job of being able to generate turnovers so Miami a team that has been turning the ball for right around about 13 times per contest. They should be able to get a lot of clean possessions now. You've got a few injuries for Miami. I know that Nigel Pack has been dealing with injuries but should be good to go. We'll go pop Poplar has been dealing with a few ailments as well, so wouldn't be overly shocked if he misses this game as well as Poplar has been able to shoot about 50% from three points. But even without him, I do think that no Chad Omir going to be able to take the fight to Brandon Huntley. Hatfield, 18 points, 10 boards per contest. It's a Miami team that has been able to shoot overall 42% from three points range. And despite the ailments that Miami has been dealing with, as they were without Poplar in each of the last two games, they still got to 80 plus in each of those two games. Now, for Miami, once again, step up in competition against Clemson and Wake Forest, gave up 80 plus in both of those games, but got a Louisville team that they've really been held down when they've been playing against better competition as well. This team has scored 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. I do think that Miami is going to be able to do a very solid job with their defense in this one, and I do think that with Miami, despite the fact that they might be without Poplar, they still have enough out of their backcourt to be able to get it done, especially with Pack. Packing it in with north of four assists per contest against a Louisville team that just feels dysfunctional and sad once again. So I did set my line at 17 and a half. I'm going to be one to lay it with Miami and did set my total 153 and a half. This Miami team has been pretty solid defensively against lesser competition. So diving in on the under and I'm going to be one to lay it with Miami. 703, 704 on the betting board. It is Virginia Tech playing us at Clemson. Clemson, a one to two point road favor. Your total is between 144 and a half and 145 and with this Clemson bunch, I did set them as a two point favor. Mostly seeing one and a half, I'm going to be one to lay that small number. It's a Virginia Tech team that is just not the same offensively as they have been in past years. Now, Virginia Tech also a little bit better defensively as well as Virginia Tech really fell off the face of planet Earth with their defense last season. And I'm not saying that there's some sort of a like steel curtain on defense or anything like that, but in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, it's been coming back a little bit with ranking 86th in the country for Virginia Tech. Whole heck of a lot better at home rather than on the road with regards to their defense as they are giving up nearly 25 points per one hour possessions fewer at home rather than on the road. And Lincoln has been tremendous down low. 15 points, 7.5 rebounds per game for a bunch. Of, they're shooting about 34.5% for three points. Sean Padula continues to give you north of four and a half assists and fewer than two and a half turnovers per game. Dudes in the mid-30s from three-point range, and it's really been all about Hunter Couture and him being able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, packing in their double figures as well on Virginia Tech. Defensively, they do rank in the top one in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. This is a Clemson team that they themselves are outside the top one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for Clemson. They do an okay job of guarding the arc. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Right around about 148th with this regard, but you have someone in P.J. Hall who just completely dominates games. At 6'10", shoots north of 40% from 3 point range, 20-plus points, 6-plus rebounds per game, and then you've got Chase Hunter who's able to give you about 13-plus points per contest for Clemson. They play at a little bit of a slower tempo, so that allows them to stay in control, turn the ball over fewer than 11 times for contest. They're shooting darn near 40% from 3 point range. We've seen that cool down just a little bit recently, but still have been able to do a pretty solid job with that regarding Clemson has done a nice job of being able to control the glass as well. A team that ranks 62nd in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate for Virginia Tech, really other than what you're getting out of kid. It's been a little bit touch and go. They're about 81st in the country with this regard as you've got Mr. Poteet down low who's been able to give you a few points. He's able to chip in there a board or two with regards to the blocks of about two and a half rebounds 
as a whole, but you just don't have a lot of rebounding outside of Kidd. They're a very one-dimensional team. Meanwhile, it's Clemson, though the defense can sometimes be a little bit suspect with Joe Girard. He shoots 43.5% for three, 15 points. It is a Clemson team that's not generating a lot of turnovers, but they're doing a very good job playing efficient offense, and both of these teams are relatively low tempo. So, I did set Clemson as a favorite of two. I'm going to be willing to lay up to one and a half with them. I did set my dollar at 144. I just think that with the lack of possessions and with the way that Virginia Tech spent a little bit diminished on offense, but a little bit better on defense. That's going to call for a little bit of a lower scoring game. So did take a look at the under and with Clemson, wanted to lay up to a point and a half with them. 7-5, 7-6 on the betting board. It is Wofford and they play us at Mercer. And Mercer does find themselves as underdogs of four and a half points. So that's between 145 and a half and 146. And with Wofford, I did set them as a favorite of six points, I'm going to be willing to lay it. If you look at the overall season results for Wofford, this team is outside the top 275 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. It's been horrible, but they've been able to rise up a little bit more in terms of this defense. As if you take a look at regulation, because their game against VMI, that went to overtime. So if you throw that one out of the fold, this team has now given up 70 points or fewer in four of their last five games that have wrapped up in regulation. They've been able to get quite a bit out of their backcourt as you've got Dylan Bailey, coupled with Corey Tripp, who've been able to do a nice job combining for in that neighborhood about 29.8 points per contest. For Wofford, they shoot about 35% from three-point range. They get to go up against a Mercer team that has had all sorts of doldrums with regards to their offense. Jalen McCreary has been able to give you about 15 points, five rebounds per contest, but this is a Mercer team that really outside of McCreary, you're not getting a ton down low. They lost someone like a David Craig who had a lot of size in the offseason, so that has caused them to be outside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, Kyler Fyle, which has been able to give this Wofford team in that pocket about nine rebounds per game, not a guy that's going to stretch a floor, hit threes or anything like that, but Wofford has been able to ascend into the top 110 with regards to overall rebound rate, and the key for this Wofford team is just being able to stay disciplined and be able to guard the three-point arc, as Wofford has had all sorts of issues the last few years with regards to perimeter defense or 300 second in the country with this regard, but line opponents to shoot just 32.4% per distance at home compared to 36.5% on the road, and this is a Mercer squad that they themselves are allowing opponents to shoot from three-point range in that neighborhood of about 34.7%, including 35% on the road. That is about 250th in all of college basketball with this Mercer team. They have yet to really find their rhythm with regards to a two-point guard as well, whereas Wofford does have that with Corey Tripp being able to give you about three and a half assists per contest. When it comes to Mercer, you've had Anthony Bernard, who's been able to chip in there about 2.8, 2.9 assists per contest, but for this Mercer team as well. You have to fear free throw shooting being a reason why this team might not cover as well. In a tighter spread like this, the fact that they shoot just 64.6% at the free throw line and the fact that out of their top six scores, just one guy shoots about 72.3%. That has to be very concerning. They would deal with a little bit of an injury to David Thomas as well. Should be good to go on this one and has been able to supply double figures in three of the last four games, but that's a little bit of a concern as well. I do think the Wofford going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. I like what I've seen defensively from this team recently as well, though I did some my total at 148 because you've got a Mercer team that they themselves have popped off with their offense. 74 plus points in four out of their last five games defensively. They've been giving it up a little bit as well. 75 plus in two out of their last four games. So, going to be taking a look at the over. And with Wofford, a team that's on the top 75 with regards to possessions per game, I'm going to be willing to lay up to five and a half with them. 707, 708 on the betting board. Sam Houston State plays out some Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky does find themselves in a pick'em game slash as a one to one and a half point underdog. Still on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between 152 and 152 and a half. 
Did sell Western Kentucky as a two and a half point favorite. Going to be willing to ride with them outright on the money line. It is a Western Kentucky team that has really cranked up their tempo. A top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. Biggest bugaboo for Western Kentucky has been the outside shooting. The team is collective. They shoot about 30 and a half percent from three point range. But your top two scorers, Christian Lander, Don McHenry, they've been able to combine to shoot about 35 and a half percent from three point range. McHenry is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 10 points per game, 15 points. He and Lander have been able to combine for about five assists per contest. The 13 after an for game. It's bad, but it's not as bad when you consider the fact that Western Kentucky is a team that plays very much up-tempo and for Western Kentucky, for the doldrums that they do have with their own three-point shooting, they hold you down from the perimeter as well. They are 11th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage going up against the same Houston State team that doesn't necessarily have supreme rebounding as well. This is the same Houston State team that they lose quite a few pieces from a season ago, including their coach and Jason Newton, but they maintain the same style. They've got a lot of interchangeable pieces, making hockey-style line changes, but for Sam Houston State, they're now right around about 142nd in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And last year, Sam Houston State was a team that could really bomb it from three-point range this season. They're more around 193rd in the country with this regard. With Sam Houston State, you do have someone in Jaden Ray who's been able to do a nice job dishing out the ball, four and a half assists per game, but he's now started to turn the ball over a little bit as well. Sam Houston State did have a little bit of an issue with regards to turnovers a season ago as manifested into 13.3 per contest thus far this season. Davon Bards, along with Lamar Wilkins, have been able to combine for 28 points per game. Nobody outside of that really gives North of eight points per game. You've had a few guys be able to do a relatively solid job down low, like Damon Nicholas, being able to give you about four and a half rebounds per game. So that battle on the glass is going to be very intriguing as you've got a Western Kentucky team that doesn't necessarily do a supreme job there. When it comes to Western Kentucky, though, they do just enough to be able to find a way to be able to get efficient shots, be able to get a few second and third chances, as well as Western Kentucky, about one or an 18th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Going up against the same Houston State team that's diminished you about 233rd with this regard. I do think that Western Kentucky goes on the road gets the job done, especially with Sam Houston State having a 45.8% rebound rate at home. They've actually been rebounding better on the road. This team is outside the top 275 with regards to home rebound rate and I do think that that's going to be a big difference Baker. Looking at Western Kentucky all right on the money line, set them as a 2.5 point favorite and did something total at 152.5 with Sam Houston State also now cranking up their tempo. They're diminished on defense and they're a team that is also in the top 150 with regards to total possessions per game after that was more like 300th a season ago. So looking at the 152 over and Western Kentucky on the money line. 709, 710 on the betting board. Belmont plays those to Illinois State. Illinois State does find themselves as a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog. Your total is between 148.5 and 149. And with Illinois State, did set them as an underdog of 9 points. I'm going to be one to lay it. It's a Belmont team that has certainly been having their issues defensively. The team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis outside the top 250. But Malik Dia all of a sudden has been able to emerge for the team. He's giving you 6 plus rebounds per game, 17 plus points, shooting high at 30s from 3-point inch at 6.9 as Kate Tyson gives you 17 points, five plus boards. He's also shooting it well from three. Now, Belmont needs to clean things up on the glass. We're in 75th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate other than Tyson along Dia. You really don't have a whole heck of a lot there. Meanwhile, for Illinois State, Brandon Leib is someone that comes in from Illinois, a true seven-footer that's only giving you right around about four to five rebounds per game. And for Illinois State, they are 89th in the country with regards to rebound rate. It's been a whole greater than some of its parts sort of approach there, but they're shooting below 32% from three-point range. It's an Illinois State team that 
terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they honestly haven't been too bad with this respect, as they're ranking right around about 182nd with this regard, but we are seeing things really going to mush for this team. Over their last three games, they're giving out 25 more points per 100 possessions than they have for the entirety of the season. It feels like it was a little bit of fool's gold to begin the season with this Illinois State team, as they have now given up at least 70 points in each of their last three games, and for that matter, they have given up north of 88 points in two of their last three games. Meanwhile, the offense has not gotten going 71 points of fear in each of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got a Belmont team that they've been able to elevate on defense. 73 points of fear surrendered in four of their last five games, and for Illinois State, who's going to be the answer on offense? for a team that is turning the ball over north of 12 times for contest. You really don't have much outside of Dalton Banks in terms of facilitation. Three and a half boards, three and a half assists, ten and a half points per game, but you don't have that go-to score on this team. Darius Burford has been able to give you about 13 points per contest, but I've got my question marks there. And what has been key for Belmont is that Keyshawn Davidson has been a little bit out of sorts to begin the season, but has really found his niche as a little bit more of a passer and a facilitator. He is now in the last five games, but averaging more like three and a half assists per contest, all while turning the ball over only about 1.6 times per game, keeping things efficient for a Belmont team that certainly is able to stroke it from three-point range. With this Belmont team, they've gotten to at least 74 points in far of their last five games. I do think that they take it to an Illinois State team that's starting to really diminish defensively. I did sell my total 149, attributing the fact that Illinois State has been a little bit more rough on defense recently. So looking at the over, that was Belmont. Going to be one to lay the number made them a nine-point favorite. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. But Bradley plays also Evansville, and Evansville does find themselves as an underdog of 11.5 to 12 points here total on this game is 144.5 with Evansville. I did set them as an underdog of 8 points, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. I feel like this Bradley team is just a little bit overvalued in general. Bradley really had success last season by being a stout, hard-nosed defense, and I think that they're really missing Rick Bass down low. They are right now 103rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I feel like this Evansville team is just hiding in plain sight right now. Evansville has ascended to being a top 150 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You signed to me as really been able to elevate the team down low, giving you about six rebounds per game, and Ben Huma Riches shoots north of 40% from three, 16 plus points per contest for an Evansville team that was in the toilet bowl with their offense last season. They were one of the most deplorable offenses in all of college basketball back under the old regime of Marty Simmons, as a matter of fact, for Evansville. Currently, this season, they are averaging 14 and a half more points per 100 possessions than they did a season ago. They're up to the top 200 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and I think that they're going to be able to keep it going. Kenny Strawbridge has been able to do a relatively saw a job, giving the team right around about three and a half, four boards per contest. It's a Bradley team that they turn the ball over north of 12 and a half times per contest. They've been dealing with injuries to Connor Hickman, though he should be good to go in this one. You do have someone in Malevi Leons be able to give you about 13 points, 7 to 8 rebounds per game at 6 foot 9. He's able to pop threes, but he doesn't necessarily shoot them very well as from three-point range, he's shooting less than 30% from distance, and it's not like Bradley is necessarily decimating on the glass. 163rd with that regard, Evansville do recognize that they're at 210, so they need a little bit more than Mr. Toomey being able to guard things down low, but that said, this is also an Evansville team that has been able to do a little bit better job of being able to generate some turnovers, a little bit vulnerable from the outside, allowing opponents to shoot 34.5% from three-point range in a roadside shoot recorded environment going up against the Bradley team has more around 85th with this regard, but they allow opponents to shoot 34% from three at home. They've actually been much better on the road rather than out there in the great state of Illinois. And I do think that Evansville goes in there. They're able to hold in this game, do a relatively solid job, taking care of the ball for Evansville. Certainly has been a little bit rough for them on defense recently. 76 plus points surrendered in four of their last five games, but this is a Bradley team that they themselves always have their question marks with regards to their offense offensively. They've now gone on to a run where they've given up 64 points to fear each other the last four games, but one of those was against the 91 school. They played against SIU Edwardsville, Valparaiso, Missouri State, so I do 
think that rubber is going to beat the road here, and Evansville holds in this game. Set my line at 8. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Evansville, and did make my total at a 142, as Bradley, still a relatively low-tempo team at Evansville, may be able to do a little bit more defensively this year than in past years as well. So diving in on the under and taking the points with Evansville. 713, 714 on the betting board. It is Drake playing us to Indiana State. Indiana State does find themselves in a pick'em game slash as a one-point underdog with your total 158.5. Set Drake as a one-and-a-half point favorite. I really like both of these teams, but I do think that the home court advantage is going to be the difference maker here. So I'm going to be one to take Drake on this pick'em line. For Indiana State, credit where credit is due. The defense is starting to look a little bit better for the team. 73 points or fewer given up in four of their last five games. Doesn't sound like much, but when you've got a high-powered Indiana State team that is in the top 50, there's a point scored on a per-possession basis. All you need is that to be able to ascend. And Indiana State, they were a top 80 team nationally. There's a points a lot on a per-possession basis a season ago. They're about 106 this season. The big issue that you do have with Indiana State, though, they're giving up 26.2 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. This is a Drake team that they have relatively similar numbers as well. 110th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They give up about 14.7 points more per 100 possessions when they hit the road. So, home cooking, I do think, is going to be big for a Drake team that they've been looking to the coaches on Tucker DeVries to do it all. Four assists, six boards, 19 points per game, and he does get a little bit of help down low from Darnell Brody, who's been able to do a solid job being able to give you eight rebounds per game. Now, Brody's going to have his hands full because you have to go up against Robbie Avila, someone who's saying six foot ten. He's been really a unicorn of college basketball this season, 13 plus points. He's able to pop it from three as Indiana State. They've got darn near everyone on the roster shooting 40 plus percent from three power range. As a matter of fact, you look at Indiana State, they are fourth in the country in terms of three point shooting percentage and number four in terms of three point shooting percentage in a roadside shoot record environment, shooting 41.9% from three point range. I do think that Drake is going to be able to do a solid job of being able to contain this. They've got someone like an Aiden Wright who's been shooting in the high 30s from three point range, but elevates his team defensively after coming in from CSUN. You've got someone like Cooper Enright who shot it well from three, but is also a really nice standout defensively as well. Now with Drake, it's been vastly different home to road for them as well as overall with regards to the three-point shooting percentage, 260th in the country, but lying opponents to shoot 39.1% from three-point range away from home, 29.9% from three-point range at home. And for Indiana State, they allow opponents to shoot 36.2% from three-point range away from home, 20.5% at home. I do think that the home and road splits are very big in this game. I like both of these teams moving forward. I think that both of these teams are dangerous, but I like Drake being able to get the job done at home. Set this line at one and a half, so I'm going to be taking them on this pick-up line, slash as a one point favorite. I did set my total at 157.5. I do think that Indiana State could have cooled down a little bit with that three-point shooting, so looking under and going to be willing to take Drake on this pick-up line. 715-716 on the bang board. UIC, Illinois, Chicago. It's the road face-off against Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa does find themselves as a favorite of 7.5 to 8 points. And your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between 139.5 and 140, and I did set UIC as an underdog of 4 points. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northern Iowa. I just failed to really see what this team does well. They're outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do a relatively solid job with their three-point shooting. I will give them that, but with this Northern Iowa team, it's been very suspect with them down low as Titan Anderson has been able to give you about five and a half to six rebounds per game, and it's a Northern Iowa team that has really been able to thrive thanks to three-point shooting as you've got Bowen Bourne who got off to a really rough start to begin the season, but if you look, 
really since Thanksgiving. He's been averaging north of 15 points per contest, shooting well above 35% from three-point range, so means we able to get things sorted out there as Nathan Heisey has really been your main guy, about 15 to 16 points per contest for a Northern Iowa team that, in their own right, they've been a very good three-point shooting team overall for the season, about 114th in the country, about 35% three-point shooting overall, but they don't have to go up against a UIC team that ranks in the top 25 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and a team that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, going up against a Northern Iowa team that they just really don't do a lot great on defense. They're about 248th in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, and that has been a big kryptonite for this UIC team. UIC throwing the ball over right around about 13 times per contest. You've got someone that I really do like in Toby O'Connor who's been able to do a solid job, being able to chip in there about 7 to 8 rebounds, 12 plus points at 6 foot 8. He's bearing about 40% of his threes. And then Isaiah Rivera. How big has he been? Coming over from Colorado State, he's the guy that shoots north of 40% from the outside. Chipping in there about 15 and a half or so points per contest. You've been able to get a little bit more out of C.J. Jones with his 5 assists per game. That's helped the UIC Flames be able to cut down on the turnovers and with the UIC. If you do have a little bit of an issue with this team, it is the fact that they are turning the ball over about 12 times per game, but as well, you've also got the free throw shooting percentage hovering in that neighborhood about 65%, but with them being the underdog, you have much less trepidation with them, rather than if you were laying points, where if you were having them go to the free throw line late, needing to be able to cover that game, you're not going to be finding that in this situation with UIC, a UIC team that has been able to do quite a good job of being able to shoot from three-point range himself. So I do think that UIC is going to be able to hold in this game. So my lineup for, I feel like Northern Iowa is very overvalued in the market. So I'm going to be one to take the points and with UIC being as good as they have been on defense, I think that they lock it down once again. So I did set my total at a 138, diving in on the under and taking the points with UIC. 717, 718 on the betting board. It is Murray State and they're going to be on the road. They're going to be facing off against Missouri State. And Missouri State does find themselves as a fair of anywhere between four to four and a half points total on this game, anywhere between 145 and 145 and a half. This is a line that I set at eight. I'm going to be willing to lay with Missouri State. Missouri State has cranked up their tempo a little bit more. Last year, they were a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game. They're in the top half of college basketball this season, but in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they've actually been a little bit better this season as they're up to the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up about 10.8 points per year per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road. And for Murray State, they play slowly. This team is actually outside of the top three in terms of total possessions per game, but they are 247th at all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, for Murray State, defense has improved a little bit more. They have given up 73 points for free in each other last three games, all while being able to get to at least 75 points in each other last three. It's a small sample size, so going up against a Missouri State team that they themselves have had a little bit of a tough time getting it going offensively. This is a squad that has now scored 72 points or fewer in five out of their last six games, but you do have Olsen Mason they will give you about 17 points, three and a half assists per game for a Missouri State team. That the biggest issue that you do have with them, the 13 turnovers per contest. They've actually really improved their three their free throw shooting after last season. It was just pretty deplorable. You've got NJ Benson, who's been able to give you about seven boards per contest, and this team should be able to win that battle down low with having chance more long Donovan Clay be able to combine for about eleven and a half rebounds per game. Clay chips in there, twelve plus points, has been able to palm it from three point range, gives you about three plus assists per contest as well. And they go up against a Murray State team that has Nick Ellingson 
who's been able to give you about six, six and a half rebounds per game coming in from Eastern Illinois. But it's really all about what you're able to get out of Jacoby Wood along throughout Perry, who's been able to combine for about 26 points per contest. Perry, a high 33-point shooter, but it is a Murray State team that I fear that they're going to have a, a bit of a tough time down low. Murray State 224th in all of college basketball. They're going to rebound rate. Not to say that this Missouri State team is necessarily batting down the hatches, but they're 60th in the country. They've been able to do a really nice job of mixing and matching on that front. This is a Murray State team that I think is going to be leaving themselves very vulnerable to giving up a lot of three-point shots. And for Murray State, they're a team that they play slowly. They don't do necessarily a great job defensively. They don't do a great job on the glass. And they themselves allow opponents to shoot from three-point range 36.5%. That is 315th in all of college basketball. Just not a great combination right there. Did semi total out of 142 with the way that Missouri State still plays very slowly. And I do think that you're going to see a very small amount of possessions in this game. And Murray State just is going to get locked down by a very good Missouri State defense. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 7.5 points with Missouri State. 719, 20 on the betting board. It is Valparaiso playing us to Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois just find themselves as road favorites of 10.5 points. So the game is between 133 and 133.5. I did set Southern Illinois as an 11-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number for Valparaiso. Just nothing is going right for this team. Valparaiso has certainly given it up from three-point range as they're about 204th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And now they're going up against the Southern Illinois team that's going to stick them in the mud. They're back outside the top 310 in terms of total possessions per game. Southern Illinois is really starting to bear down defensively. Top 70 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for the Southern Illinois team, they've got a top five score in all of college basketball that's absolutely going to light them up in Xavier Johnson, who has been absolutely tremendous. Xavier Johnson is right now contributing between 24 and 25 points per contest. He's been able to shoot north of 40% from three-point range, and he's getting other guys involved as well with about six assists, four rebounds per contest, as you've been able to get really good production out of Clarence Rupert, was a part of that Elite Eight team over at St. Peter's, six boards, nine points per contest. Jared Hensley, he comes in as a two-time transfer, was ineligible to begin the season. Now he gives the team some reinforcements with about eight and a half points per contest. Currently shooting 60% from three-point range, no doubt about it. I think that we're going to be seeing a little bit of a fall off there, but for Valparaiso, after Jerome Palm was doing a really nice job to begin the season down low, he has just fallen off the face of planet Earth. I have no idea why. You do so have Darius Stiviero. He's done a nice job building out the ball. He's giving you about five assists to two turnovers per game, so no complaints there, but for Valparaiso, 303rd in the country in terms of overall rebound rate, going up against a Southern Illinois team that are not amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but they're right around about 188th. You'll certainly take that over north of 300th for this Valparaiso team. They just have not been able to find their sea legs with regards to both offense and on the defensive side of things, as for Valparaiso, they really don't have too much of a home court environment as well. 218th overall in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, only giving up about 3.5 points fewer per runner possessions at home rather than on the road. We've had Isaiah Stafford be able to put the team on his back, 16.5 points per contest, but he only shoots about 28.5% from three for a Valpo team that they shoot 39.5% from four, 30.5% from three points. Southern Illinois has really just been beating teams down on defense. This team has given up now 64 points or fewer in each of their last five games. For Southern Illinois, last time they gave up north of 70 points, you have to go all the way back to the middle of November when they played against James Madison. Other than James Madison, this team I don't think has given up more than 70 points in a game since that Indiana State game as well. So I think that this is going to be a low-scoring slog. I'm going to be willing to lay with Southern Illinois. Set them as an 11-point favorite. I made my total 131. So going under and laying it with 
the Salukis. 721, 722 on the main board. UTSA, meet, meet for the Roadrunners. They third to face off against Memphis. Memphis, a 20 to a 21 point favorite, and your total on this game it is between 161.5 and 162. Memphis should be a pretty sizable favorite. Could only set this line at 19, though. I'm going to be willing to take the points with UTSA. UTSA actually does have some relatively good size, as you've been able to get a lot of guys doing an okay job on the glass. They're going to lose that battle to Davi Jones, who's by far the best player out there on the floor. 29 points, 6 half boards, shooting 36.5% for 3 points, but we've noticed a little bit of slippage with that 3-point shooting. Meanwhile, you've got Dre Fuller, Carlton Lingard, who have both been able to give you about 6 rebounds per game along Trey Edmonds, and throw in there the fact that Jordan Ivy Curry is a 2-time transfer that's back in the fold. When he was playing at UTSA two seasons ago, 14 points, shot 34% from 3, transferred over to Pacific, decided to transfer back, and is out due to the NCAA and all their tomfoolery, but he has scored 15-plus points in each other the last three games, four-plus assists in each other the last three. Now, a high-variance player, as in the last three games I was mentioning, he's also had in those games a combined 14 turnovers, and this is a Memphis team that they do a relatively solid job of being able to generate those turnovers. He's 8.7 steals per game. Memphis plays fast. I don't think they're playing quite as out of control this year as they have in past years as for Memphis, it's still a brisk pace, but in terms of total possessions per game, they've dialed it back just a touch, offering more in that neighborhood of about 50th in the country. Meanwhile, UTSA, the team is running it and gunning it there, 31st in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and certainly has not been the world's most efficient defense there. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 264th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you've got a Memphis team that they themselves have been a little bit all over the place, but they've been able to do a good job defensively recently. 79th in the country with this regard. You take a look at their recent results in the team has given up 75 points of fear in each other last five games. Doesn't sound like much, but when you're playing at the tempo that they are, that is actually a little bit of an accomplishment. And for Memphis, you do have Javon Quinterly, who's been able to cut down on the turnovers had that big, made three to be able to lift them over Tulsa. He's been able to give this team right around four and a half assists per contest. But I do like what I'm seeing out of Christian Tucker on the flip side for UTSA as well. 13 points, a little bit over five assists per contest. This UTSA team, without question, they're going to lose a battle on the glass, but I think that they remain a little bit more lively than expected with Jordan Ivy Curry being able to come back in the fold as well. That helps out a UTSA team that I think they lose this game. They still lose the game by quite a bit, but I do think that Memphis has started to get a little bit overinflated. So here at the 20 plus, going to be well to take the points with the UTSA. I did somebody total 155 with the way that Memphis has been improving a little bit defensively. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with the UTSA. Meet me for the Roadrunners. 723, 724 on the bidding board. NC State is going to be playing us in North Carolina. And the Tar Heels who find themselves as a road favorites of between four and four and a half points. Settles between 154 and 155 and a half. Semi-line at three, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with NC State. NC State has really done a nice job of not beating themselves. Only about 10 and a half to 11 turnovers per contest. This is a team that is going to lose that battle down low. North Carolina, you've got Armando Baycott. He's a top five player with regards to rebounds per game and all of college basketball, chipping in their 15 plus points per contest. We all know what he's fully capable of, and for North Carolina, in terms of rebound rate, 64th in all of college basketball, NC State. It's more around 180 third, but with this NC State team, they've been able to do a nice job of having their guards all really be able to operate in space. DJ turned it up horn, shooting north of 40% from three-point range. He's been able to log for the team 13 plus points per contest. We know that North Carolina is always going to have their issues offensively. They honestly haven't been horrible thus far this season, and when it comes to North Carolina, they're actually 56th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Interesting split with them allowing opponents to shoot 35.2% for three-point range at home, just 26.1% on the road, but for NC State, they've shut down the three ball at home as well, allowing opponents to shoot just 29.3% from three, and that's a big reason why this North Carolina team has been able to elevate this season. Getting out Caleb Love, who's just not shooting very well 
from three firing two fields like everyone benefited. Love has been amazing at Arizona. This North Carolina team is much more efficient with R.J. Davis being able to supply 20.5 points per contest, shooting 39.5% from three. So one of the rare circumstances where everyone was able to win. And for North Carolina, what I do think that you need to see a little bit more from is guys like Seth Trimble, Jalen Washington. Just it feels like they're a very top-heavy team. Cormac Ryan has given you 11 points per contest despite not shooting it well from three. He's been pretty rock solid, but with NC State just having the plethora of guards that they have at their disposal. I was mentioning DJ Horn, but you've also got Jaden Taylor, Casey Marcel, both of these guys have been able to combine for about 25 points per contest. Taylor is shooting 36% from three, and NC State 8.6 turnovers per game. That is a top five mark in off college basketball. I think I oversold them. I think I was mentioning 11. That's North Carolina is more around 10.5 turnovers per game, but Michael O'Connell, even though he doesn't really give you a lot of scoring, he does a nice job being able to distribute, and if you can get a little bit more out of MJ Rice, it's going to lead to this NC State team being all the more dangerous, and I did my total 161. Even though North Carolina has looked a bit better defensively recently, they've actually given up fewer than 70 points at each other the last four games. I do think that that's going to be coming to an end, and you've got an NC State team that has been able to elevate their offense with north of 75 points in three of their last four games, with two of those games being against Virginia and Notre Dame. So, they've really been able to do it against slow teams. So, I'm going to be looking at the over, and going to be taking a look at the points with NC State South them as a three-point dog. So, 25, 726 on the betting board. It is Wisconsin on the road facing off against Ohio State. The Ohio State University just find themselves as a one-to-one-and-a-half point home favorite. Your total is between 140-and-a-half and 141-and-a-half. Did set my total at a 141. Personally, I would rather have the 141-and-a-half under rather than the 140-and-a-half over. You've got a Wisconsin team that they just still are a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game and with Wisconsin, even though the offense has been much more prolific this year. They're a top 45 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. You know that the bottom can fall at any time on this Wisconsin team and that they are still going to play very under control. 10 turnovers per game, so they've done a good job locking down there. They're shooting about 34% from three-point range. And for Wisconsin, they do see a little bit of drop-off in terms of both their offense and their defense away from home, but you have Stephen Crawl, Tyler Wall, who should be able to do a solid job down low. These two guys combined for about 13.7 rebounds per game, going up against an State team that they themselves do a nice job on the glass. Roddy Gale is a little bit of a versatile do-it-all player. Three assists, 14 and a half points, five and a half boards, shooting 35 and a half percent from three-point range. And then Felix Opara, coupled with Zed Key, have been able to combine for about 12 and a half rebounds per game. Opara is actually giving you north of two blocks per contest. And then Bruce Thornton has really been your main man, shooting for about 16 points per game, high 30s from three-point range, giving out north of four assists per contest as well. So, going to be really interesting to see how Wisconsin is able to match up on the glass because outside of Wall along with Stephen Crawl, they don't necessarily have a ton down low, but they've really been able to improve their rebounding this year. They're a top 35 team in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Iowa State has been able to do a good job plowing on the glass as well. They're 26th in all of college basketball, and this is really going to come down to which team is able to guard the arc a little bit better. It is a Wisconsin team that has got John Blackwell shooting north of 40% from three-point range, but I do think that there's going to be inevitable regression there and for this Wisconsin team. They are just 283rd in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 41% from distance. But if you look at the teams that they have played away from home, I'm looking at the likes of Arizona and company, it has really been a rough and tumble schedule. Meanwhile, you've got an 
Ohio State team as 81st in all of college basketball, but I do think that the numbers are going to start to reverse course a little bit. That said, even with Wisconsin getting a little bit more fortunate on that three-point shooting defense, I still think that Ohio State is going to do a solid job down low with Bruce Sorton doing such a good job running this Ohio State offense. I do think that they get the job done at home. Set my line at three, so I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half points. I did set my total at 141, so you're at the 141 and a half looking under and willing to lay the small number with the Ohio State University. 727-728 on the bank board. The men of Troy play also Louisiana. And Louisiana does find themselves as an underdog of one and a half to two points. Their last game is 146 with Louisiana. I did set them as an underdog of two points. So here at the one and a half, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Troy. With Troy, the team has been able to do a relatively solid job of just staying even keel and getting the most out of their backcourt as Christian Eugene has been the main man to be able to dole out the ball. 15 points, right around four assists per contest. They go up against the Louisiana team that also has a good point guard of their own famous folks. Four and a half assists, 10 and a half points per game. It's not shooting it well from three, but Louisiana as a whole, they're shooting about 37% from the outside. It's a Louisiana team has been looking to win from the perimeter as for the third straight year. You've got someone in Cantrell Garnett shooting north of 40% from three-point range. He's been about a 9 to a 10 point per game score, so love what I'm seeing there for Louisiana. They are 45th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage. Misleading stat though. They're allowing opponents to shoot 19.7% from three-point range at home. That balloons to 35% in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. So, take a lot of caution there with a Louisiana team that they themselves have had a little bit of a tough time on the glass as well. They're 297th of the Country in terms of overall rebound rate, and it's not to say that the men of Troy are doing an absolutely amazing job batting down the hatches on the glass, but this team does rank in the top 100 with that regard. It's a Troy team that they don't necessarily have an amazing amount of guys down low. Joe Charles is probably going to be the best overall rebounder in this game. He plays for Louisiana, 11 points, about 10 boards, shooting 35% from three-point range, but that said, for Troy, you'll be able to have Thomas Stout do a nice job of being able to headline things with about five and a half rebounds per game, and it is a team where the hole is really greater than the sum of its parts. You've got Eugene was a little bit of a floor general for the team, but you've got pretty much five separate guys that give you at least 3.8 rebounds per game. Along with Eugene, you've been able to get 47.5% three-point shooting out of Keaton Conway, who's been able to chip in there about 11 points per game. Amir Muhammad has been able to give you about 10.5 points per game. This is a Troy team that you're able to feel secure about them late in games as well. Their top four scores, three of them, shoot north of 82% at the free throw line. So with Troy, I did set them as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them in the spot. It's a Louisiana team that is a mid-tempo team, but a team that certainly has been giving up their fair share of points, giving up 74 plus in three of their last five games. The men of Troy, they've been able to ascend with their offense north of 72 points in two out of their last four games at 85 plus in two out of their last four as well. So going to be taking a look at the over semi-total 154 and willing to lay up to one and a half for Troy. 729, 730 on the bank board. Xavier is going to be playing us to UConn. UConn just find themselves as a road favorite of four to four and a half points. So it's between 145 and a half and 146 and a half. I have to assume that Donovan Klingon is going to be out until further notice. So that is attributed for in this spot. But that's with UConn. So willing to lay up to 7.5 with them. I just feel like the Xavier team is just not quite what we saw a season ago. Now, credit where credit is due. This is a Xavier bunch that honestly has been able to do a little bit of a better job defensively than a year ago, but you just take a look at the offense and it's not the same. 187th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and for this UConn team, they have been doing it all. Number 3 in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. A top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, credit where credit is due. Xavier is actually giving up right around 6.5 points fewer per 100 possessions this season than they did a season ago, but I just don't know how they matched up in the backcourt with Tristan Newton along Cam Spencer. Both of these guys give you 15.1 points and 1.3 steals per contest. 
Newton more of the triple double machine, six half boards, five and a half assists, while Spencer is more of your deep shooter, shooting 44.3% from three points for a UConn team that they only turn the ball over 10 and a half times per game. And even though you've got out of the full Mr. Donovan Klingon, you still have Alex Caravan who's been able to give you north of six rebounds per game. And Abdul Usman, he's been able to do a relatively solid job down low for this Xavier team. Comes in from North Texas, the old mean green, and he's been able to do a nice job being able to give you about six half rebounds per game. Gives you north of a block per contest. And it is a Xavier team that shoots it much better at home rather than on the road. 36.2% three-point shooting team at home. Sub-29% when they are on the road. And this is a UConn team that they themselves typically do a little bit of a better job at home rather than on the road as well for UConn. They're shooting about 35% from three at home, more like 33% on the road, but even with Klingon being out of the fold, I do think that this UConn team is really going to take the fight to Xavier. It is a Xavier team. I still have my question marks outside of Usman. You've been able to get quite a bit of production out of Quincy Oliveri along Desmond Claude. They've been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 32.5 points per contest. Oliveri shooting about 41% from three-pointers, but Xavier, they're right around about 100th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate, and for UConn, this team has been one of the best teams in all of college basketball being able to hit the glass each of the last two seasons. They're number six in all of college basketball right now, but if you look at the last three games without Donovan Klingon, they've still been a top 40 team in terms of rebound rate, so I do think that UConn goes on the road, and they're able to get the job done, set my line at a 7.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in for the Xavier team. They've had to slow down a little bit. They've been less efficient on offense, and UConn, a team that is outside the top 240 in terms of total possessions per game, so I did set my total more around about a 143.5, looking at the under end willing to lay of the UConn. 731-732 on the banging board. Butler, it's road faceoff against Marquette, and Marquette does find themselves as 10.5 to 11.5 point favorites, so it'll on this game between 153 and 154 with Marquette. I did set them as a favorite of 12 points here at the 10.5 to an 11. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with this Butler bunch. They certainly have been able to do a much better job with their offense than they did a season ago because Pasha Alexander just getting away from Andre Cabello. I feel like it's been very good for him. Assist to turnover ratio of two, two seals per game. Never shoots it well from three-point range, but has been able to give you about 10.5 points per contest. But now he has to go up against a Marquette team that's really checking all the boxes with Tyler Kolick giving you 14.5 points, six half assists, 1.7 seals, five boards on 41 plus percent three-point shooting. This Marquette team has just become so prolific with that regard, and this is a Marquette defense that truly is quite a bit different when they're at home rather than on the road. Marquette, they are the 39th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but they're giving up 13.8 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment, and when it comes to this Butler team, they themselves take a little bit of a dive when they're on the road, as this team is giving up about 17.8 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. And the big question that we have with Marquette coming into the season is the rebound rate because this Marquette team last season, they were a bottom 75 team with regards to rebound rate and it's still not great, but at home they've got a rebound percentage of 52.2% and also Oguinera is to thank for that. Only guy in the roster giving you north of 5.2 rebounds per game, 13.5 points, 7 boards per contest, and we go up against a Butler team that does have a 7-footer that comes in from Bucknell and Andre 3000 screen, who's been rock solid, but it's not like this Butler team has been amazing on the glass. We're in 67th with that regard. Jalen Thomas is able to give you a little bit north of six rebounds per game so that Achilles heel is not going to be unearthed. Butler shooting it much better from three-point range, shooting 35% as a collective as Pierre Brooks. is able to give you 16.5 points. He's shooting about 38.5% for three. DJ turned it up. Davis is shooting 40% for three as he and Jamal Telford have been able to combine for about 25 points per contest. But this is also a Butler team that they have been a little bit suspect with regards to just the consistency of that three-point shooting. And now they go up against a Marquette team that has been able to do a better job of being able to 
guard the three-point arc, 29.5%. It's what they're allowing opponents to shoot from three when they're at home. So this is a line that I did set at 12. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And with this total, I did set mine at a 152. Butler's playing a bit more up-tempo, but Marquette playing a bit better defense and a bit more slowly. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Marquette. 733, 734 on the betting board. It is Georgia, and Uga is finding themselves as a two to two and a half point home favorite against Arkansas with a total on this game anywhere between 152 and a half and 153 and a half. Set this line at three and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay it. If you look at the metrics and the metrics alone, that would put me on Arkansas on the spot. I just can't get behind this Arkansas team right now. Arkansas is outside the top 200 in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage. Like, I really like this roster, too, with his Arkansas team. Trayvon Brazil is six foot ten. He's able to pop threes. He gives you six-plus rebounds per game. Chandler Lawson has been able to do a relatively solid job down low, but right now you're just getting a turd sandwich from this team. They're 183rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Georgia's 64th in the country, and Georgia comes in really riding some good momentum, and Georgia's actually been able to do a really nice job of cutting teams off from three-point range. Allowing opponents to shoot just 29.3% from three-point range. Home and road numbers combined. They're in the top 60 in all of college basketball with that regard. And though this is a Georgia team that they don't necessarily do a beastly job with regards to their rebound rate or anything like that, they do a relatively solid job as you've been able to have Russell Chabo be able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game for Arkansas. You do have Trayvon Mark along with Kaylee Battle who've been able to do a solid job being able to combine four and then neighborhood about 30 points per contest. Test, both shooting north of 40% from three-point range, but ever since Keon Metafield has come to the fold, this team has just not been able to do a whole lot of a lot defensively. They have given up 73 plus points in each other last three games. Metafield had that big 34-point performance against UNC Wilmington, which you do like to see, but that said, now you're going up against a Georgia team that's really been batting down the hatches with regards to their defense. 68 points are fewer surrender, and now three out of their last five games. We've got an Arkansas team that has been falling down the toilet, but with that regard, they've been able to do a relatively solid job with their offense, but I do think that for Georgia they're going to stay disciplined. They've got two guys in the backcourt, and Noah Thomason, Jabir Abdul-Rahim, have done a nice job of being able to control the ball. Only about 11 half turnovers for this team. They combined to shoot 40% from three and about 25 and a half points per contest. And with just the current form of Arkansas, them being away from Budwell Arena, where they just lost miserably over the weekend, I do think that Georgia is going to be able to get it done. I did set Georgia as a three and a half point favorite. Could it be one to lay the number? I did set my total 153 and a half. Seeing that 152 and a half out there with the way that Arkansas is currently playing defense. I'm looking at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay it with August. 735, 736 on the betting board. It is Florida, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Ole Miss. And Ole Miss is a 2 to 2.5 point home underdog. Totals between 157.5 and 158. Talked about this game with our good friend Blake Lovell, and I think that this is a good spot for Ole Miss. I set them as a one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. It's a Florida team that they really just haven't impressed me too much. Florida continues to get to 80 on the regular, but they're shooting 33.5% for three. They shoot 65% on the free throw line with 13.5 turnovers per game. The overall efficiency for Florida is not there. They're just scoring more points this year because they've cranked up their tempo. You've got Walter Klein along with Zion Pullen. They're pulling in buckets. They've been able get a combined about 30 and a half points, right around 8 assists per contest, and Poland, he's been able to give you 44% three-point shooting in for Florida. One thing that this team is doing very well, rebounding. Alex Condon, Micah Hanglott, and along Tyree Samuel, these two guys are combining for about 22 rebounds per game, so it's going to be a very difficult thing for Ole Miss to match up with, but you got seven foot five giant of the earth, Jamarian Sharp, who's able to do a good job giving you multiple blocks. He, along with Musa Sise, should be able to do a relatively solid job in this spot. It's an Ole Miss team that's only 250 
55th in the country. In terms of rebound rate, I fully expect that to improve going up against a Florida team that actually ranks 11th with this regard, but it is an Ole Miss team that has been one of the best teams in all of college basketball with their three-point shooting percentage. Shooting north of 40% from three, do have to feel like there's going to be inevitable regression because every player that is averaging north of one point per game that has made at least one three for Ole Miss is shooting at least 38.6% from three-point range, led by Matthew Morell and Alex Flanagan. Both guys who are giving you between 16 and 16 and a half points per game. It's just absolutely ridiculous what we have been seeing there. Jamin Brakefield has been able to give you four plus rebounds per game. He's dripping in their double figures as well. And when you take a look at this Florida defense, they do have a little bit of a kryptonite giving up three-pointers on the road. They're allowing opponents to shoot 40.9% from three-point range on the road. So that's going to be a little bit of an issue for Ole Miss. They're 75th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And I think that they're going to continue to tie it on this Florida team. Florida is playing very much up-tempo now in the top 40 in terms of total possessions per game. But Ole Miss is a team that under the tutelage of Chris Beard, they're looking to play tough, defensive-oriented basketball. And I do think that they're going to be able to do so here. So I did set Ole Miss as one half point favorite. And I think that this is a little bit correlated. And overbow is better for Florida. And underbow is better for Ole Miss. And I do think that Ole Miss is going to do a good job. I'll be able to slow this game down a little bit more and just flat out executing. So I'm going to be taking a look at Ole Miss on the money line. Did set by 12, 151 half. So also looking at the under. 737, 738 on the bank. Warboss in college. It's the road faceoff against Syracuse. And Syracuse is a favorite of four points. Your total on this game is 156. And with Syracuse, did set them as a favorite of two points. So I'm going to be willing to take the points with Boston College. Boston College is going to have the best player in this game. And that's no disrespect to what Judah Mintz has been able to do. But Quinton Post is a seven-footer. That's able to give you 18 points, eight boards. Shoots 46.5% from three with three and a half assists and two blocks per contest. Perhaps in terms of pure scoring, Judah Mintz is a better player. He's able to give you 19 points, three boards, four assists. He's shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. And also with Judah Mintz, he's been able to do a really good job, be able to generate some seals as well. This man has been able to give you north of three seals per contest in each out of the last five games. But also, the turnovers have really cranked up for Judah Mintz as well. He's averaging north of four and a half turnovers per game in the last five as well. And that's a bit of an issue. Go up against the Boston College team that, while they're not amazing at being able to generate turnovers, this team is pretty incredible at being able to bomb it from three-point range. They do shoot 37% from the outside. Going up against the Syracuse team that has been touch and go with the defense. He figured that that would be the case after moving on from the pack line defense that they had played for 100 million billion years. But Syracuse is doing an okay job of locking down from three-point range. They allow opponents to shoot 31.3% from three-point range. And oh man, Boston College, the biggest issue is giving up the three-ball. Opponents are shooting 38% from three-point range against them in a roadside search court environment. I do feel like a little bit of that is bad luck, and they're able to mitigate that a tad with Claudia Hurst, shooting about 45% from three, 15 and a half points per contest, and this is a Boston College team that I think is going to be able to do a solid job down low. You've got Malik Brown for the Syracuse team, was able to give you about 8.6 rebounds per game, and then J.J. Starlin is a little bit of a do-it-all player that hasn't shot it well from three-point range, but has been able to give you 12-plus points per contest. He gives you three assists. He gives you, like, four to five rebounds per game, so really outside of three-point shooting, he's been able to do a little bit of everything for the team, but Syracuse just 247th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. You've got a Boston College team that's able to be so efficient because you do have Jaden Zachary, who was actually a really good three-point shooter a season ago, turned into a more of a point guard who's got an assisted turnover ratio of three, and with Boston College in the top 135 in terms of rebound rate, being able to have McLaughlin down low, be able to give you about six boards per contest. Prince LGB has been able to give you four and a half boards as well. I do think the 
Boston College holds in there in this spot, in which I do think that you're going to see plenty of made shots, but at the same time, I do think the Boston College is going to cool down a little bit with their three-point shooting, and I do think that their three-point shooting defense on the road going to be a little bit more improved as well going up against the Syracuse team that they themselves they have not allowed 73 points or fewer in, I believe, six out of their last seven games. So this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the under and going to be able to take the points with BC, 739, 740 on the betting board. It is CCU playing us at Oklahoma. Oklahoma does find themselves as underdogs of between four to four and a half points. But on this game, is between 150 and a half and 151. Going set TC as a one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Oklahoma. Both of these teams have very remarkable metrics. Both of these teams have not necessarily played against the world's greatest competition either, so you do have a few question marks there, but that said, this is a Oklahoma team that I really like the way that they've been able to improve that efficiency. The 13 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly, but they do shoot as a collective about 36% from three-point range. Owen away is currently shooting 68% from three-point range, and it's going to be going downward just a little bit, but I also do think that something that's going to be going northward is a rebounding. Rivaldo Soros has been able to give you about five rebounds per game. I like what I've been seeing out of John Hughley, right around nine points, four and a half boards, and it's turned into well north of a 40% three-point shooter. So his versatility has been very key for an Oklahoma team, in which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts down low. As this is a team that's actually 16th in the country with regards to rebound right now. If you take a look at TCU, this team is in the top 50 in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency. They checked really all the boxes. They are 19th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate, even though they themselves don't have a single guy that gives you north of six rebounds per game in Emmanuel Miller. And I do think that these teams are really cut from a similar cloth. You've got a TCU team that they shoot about 33% from three-point range. You've got a guy that's able to give you about 11.5 points, or Jacoby Coles, who's been from three-point range, shooting about 38.5% from the outside. Jameer Nelson Jr., Micah Peavy have both been able to give you about 3.5 assists per contest, along with Avery Anderson the third. And as a matter of fact, I have your top five scores for TCU. Four of them give you at least 2.7 assists per game, none of them north of 3.5, but I do think that JVR McCollum was able to give you about 14.5 points per game, shooting 38% from three. It's going to be key, and what else I think is key in this spot? Oklahoma has just played a little bit of better competition to this point rather than TCU. Oklahoma coming into their own defensively, giving up 72 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, for TCU, they're coming off of giving up 80 plus and now three out of their last five games. But I do think that TCU gets back to basics. This is a Jamie Dixon coach team, in which they always do pride themselves on defense. So, did somebody told 145 and a half, diving in on the under with Oklahoma. Won't take anything north of two with them. 741, 742 on the betting board. It is Washington State. They're on the road. They're facing off against USC, and the Trojans do find themselves as favorites of anywhere between five and a half to six points here. Total on this game, it is between 147 and 148. I do feel like USC should be the favorite, and I do think that they're going to bounce back a little bit, but I set this line at five, so I'm going to be willing to take the points in this ordeal. It is a USC squad that has been able to get a little bit more out of Bronny James, but the guys that you really want to be identifying are Boogie Ellis along with Isaiah Collier, who have been able to combine for north of 30 points per contest. Ellis is shooting well north of 40% from three-point range, and the offense has been just fine for this USC team. It's a defense that is just getting completely smoked as for USC in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team is 168th in all of college basketball going up against a Washington State team that they've actually done a really good job defensively, but they've also got some very vast metrics with regards to home and road splits. As for Washington State, they rank about 67th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're giving up 8.4 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot current environment rather than at home. I do like what Andre Yagmoski has been able to give this team as he down low has been able to give you right around about six boards, seven and a half points at six foot eight. He's able to let it fly from three point range. It is a Washington State team that on the glass, they're 24th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate as well. And for USC, for 
with his team and all that they're able to do with regards to block shots that Joshua Morgan is able to give you two and a half blocks per contest. They're only 149th with regards to rebound rate. Vincent Iwuchuku, only about five rebounds per game. That hasn't been great. And for Washington State, they do the little things. They only turn the ball over about 10.9 times per contest. Miles Rice, along with Isaac Jones, have been able to combine for about 29 points per contest. You've been able to get some relatively good outside shooting with about a 39% clip, eight points, four boards out of Jalen Wells as well. So I like the way the Washington State has been performing. They're a little bit of a different team on the road, and they've been acting up a little bit more defensively. 74 plus points surrendered in three other last four games, but for this USC team, they themselves have been all over the place with regards to their defense. They have given up 74 plus points in really each other last five games, but I do think the Washington State, with their slow controlled style outside of the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game, slows things down just a little bit. Some I told 145. I'm looking at the under, and when it comes to this USC team, going to make them a five-point favorite, so going to be taking a look at the points. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas winning board before we hit our extra game, 743-744. Cal is going to be playing out Colorado. Colorado just find themselves this year to a five and a half point road favorite. Totals between 150 and 115 and a half with Colorado did set them as a favorite of four and a half points. So at the five plus, I'm going to be one to take the points with Cal. Now with Cal, it's been a season to forget to say the least. This team is currently outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. That has been absolutely awful, but you do have a guy down low in Fardos Amick who's able to give you a double double 17 plus points. 11 plus rebounds per game. He's able to shoot some threes as well. And it's a Cal team that's been able to do a solid job on the glass. A top 100 team with regards to rebound rate. It's a Colorado team that now they get back in the fold. Tristan De Silva, and that's big because you've got KJ Simpson, who's been Mr. Do It All, giving you like 20 points, five boards, five assists, shooting north of 40% from three point range. And for this Colorado team, they have been one of the best three point shooting teams in all of college basketball. A team that's clocking in in the top 20 with that regard, as a matter of fact, number nine. But the home and road splits, massive. 45.3% three-point shooting team at home. 30.3% in a road-slash-neutral court environment, and they themselves have been giving it up quite a bit from three-point range as well. This is a Colorado bunch that, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they're 211th at all of college basketball, allowing opponents to shoot 38.2% from three-point range. Jalen Tyson has been a top-40 scorer in all of college basketball. He's been able to give this Cal team right in the neighborhood about 18-plus points per contest. You've been able to get back in the fold. Guys like Jalen Celestine, Devin Eskew, it's taken them a little bit of time to get going, but I do feel like the wheels are starting to turn finally for the team, and you're still dealing with a few injuries. You still have out of the fold someone like Cody Williams, who who knows when he's going to return if he does at all. Giovanni Hadley has been able to do a relatively solid job shooting 42% from three-point range, but Colorado just too inconsistent away from home for me to trust in them, and this is a Cal team that they themselves I do think is going to come into their own a little bit more defensively, 71 points for fewer surrender in three other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Colorado team that has been held down to 74 points or fewer in each other last four. So, did something I told 146 half diving under, and I'm going to be one take five plus here with Cal. Now, let's hit our extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-501-306-502. It is Army, and they're going to be playing us with Loyal Maryland. Loyal does find themselves as an underdog of four and a half points, and your total on this game getting it out of 125 to 125 and a half. Certainly, this Army team has been rough with regards to their offense. They are outside of the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Could not quite go that far with this total. I did set it out of 130 with Loyal Maryland. Also being a team that is well outside of the top 220 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. So I'm going to be looking at the overhand. With this 
Army bunch. I did set them as a six-point favorite. If I said Loyola Maryland was a favorite, it's actually Army is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And with Loyola Maryland, I did set them as a six-point underdog. With Loyola Maryland, they should be able to do an okay job down low with Golden DK, giving you about seven-and-a-half rebounds per game. But Loyola Maryland just has butterfingers. As they've been turning the ball over 15 times for contest, they shoot 61.5% at the free throw line. Army loses darn near everything from that backcourt from a season ago. But they've been able to do a nice job of being able to mix and match. Josh Govins has been able to give you 13 points, six boards for an Army team that is finally shooting above 30% from three-point range, 31% from distance. Now, Army also shooting 57% at the free line. That is a mondo issue, but that said, this is a Army team that they've actually done an okay job with their defense. A top 130 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Loyola, Maryland, they're getting cooked from the outside, allowing opponents to shoot about 34.9% from the outside in a roadside shoot record environment. You've been able to have someone like D'Angelo Steins for this Loyola, Maryland team be able to give you double figures. He shoots it okay from three-point range by Loyola, Maryland. 78-plus points allowed in each of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got an Army team that they have allowed fewer than 60 points in each of their last four games and for this Army team in regulation because they played that game against Stony Brook in overtime. In regulation, they had only given up 61 points. So the last time they gave up north of 70 points in regulation, you have to go all the way back to November. I do think that we're going to get a little bit more scoring in this spot with the way the Loyola Maryland is playing defense. I did set my total 130 looking at the over, but with Army one to lay up to 5.5 points with them, set them as a 6-point favorite. 306503, 306-504. Navy, it's road face off against Holy Cross. Holy Cross is a 3 to a 3.5 point underdog with your total between 135.5 and 136. Set Navy as a 6.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Navy, another team outside the top 275 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but this Navy team is completely locking you down on defense. Navy, 61st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Holy Cross, not in the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They are 351st. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to one of their main guards in Paul Montgomery, who was last year a double-figure scorer for the team this year, averaging more in that neighborhood about 10 or so points per contest, but that's been a little bit of an issue. So Joel Octave has to do a little bit of everything, 14.5 points, 6 boards, he from 3-point range. Has been able to fire it in there at a clip of about 32%. All in all, Holy Cross shooting about 33.5% from the outside, but as a team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game, them turning the ball over 12 and a half times for contest and shooting 61.5% the free throw line. It's ghastly. This Holy Cross team is getting decimated on the glass. We are in 13th in the country with that regard. And it's not to say that this Navy team is necessarily the world's greatest team with regards to rebound rate, 252nd in the country, but they should be able to have Don Draper be able to really control things down low. Donovan Draper, right around nine rebounds per game. Austin Benagini has really been able to rise up as a top flight scorer for the team, being able to give you about 14 points per contest. And when it comes to this Holy Cross team, I mean, they've been wholly awful with regards to being able to guard the perimeter as well as for the Crusaders in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage for 353rd in all of college basketball. Opponents shoot 38.8% from three-point range at home against them for a Navy team that's been ice cold from three-point range. I think that's exactly what they need to get going, and I think the Navy continues to do a tremendous job defensively in a game involving two teams outside the top two in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, somebody told a 126-half. I'm looking at the under. My 126-half on the spreadsheet, not a typo. I really think that this is a low-scoring slot. of Navy set them as a six-half-point favorite, one to lay the number. 306-505-306-506. Boston U is going to be playing against American. And American just find themselves in a pick game. Your total on this game is between 133 and 133 and a half. Set American as a 2.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on this pick line when it comes to American. They need to buff up with regards to a three-point shooting defense. Opponents are shooting 39.6% from three-point range against them when they are away from home. But this is also a Boston U team that, to my surprise, they've just been getting way overvalued in the market. I have no idea why. There's really nothing to like about this Boston U team. You've got 
one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. That'd be Otto Landrum who gives you six rebounds per game. Nobody averages north of 10 points per contest. They turn the ball over 12 and a half times per game. They shoot 66% of the free throw line. I just don't see why people have been upgrading this Boston U team. Meanwhile, for American, while they do have their issues on defense, they are well outside the top three with that regard. You got Mark Rogers, a six foot nine combo player that shoots 38 and a half percent from three, 15 plus points per contest. Elijah Stevens gives you 5.3 assists per game. And last year, this American team, they were just so awful at being able to take care of the ball. They were in the bottom 20 in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. That's down to about 11 turnovers per contest this season. And this is an American team that I think that they're going to be able to hold their own on glass. They're about 126th in the country with that regard. This is Boston U team that, to their credit, they're about 100th with that regard. But that said, you've had some like your Greg Spruce be able to do a nice job shooting about 87.5% of the free line, double figure amount of points. He's able to give you a little bit defensively as well. You've been able to have Colin Smalls come up big in terms of helping this team facilitate as well. You've seen a little bit of a lesser role from a season ago, but that's that with this Boston U team. Again, I just have no idea where this love for them has been coming through as, I mean, the defense has been just fine. They have given up 63 points or fewer in far of their last five games. The offense though, they have come up completely snake eyes with 63 points or fewer in four of their last five games, and it's an American team that's gotten past 70 in four of their last five. So, I'm going to be willing to take American on this quick compliance up by total on 132 and a half. I think that this is a low-scoring slog, so looking under and going to be one to uh, take American on this pick'em line. 306-507-306-508. Queens NC plays us a Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk City is in a pick'em game of their own. Total on this game is 151 and with Dunk City, I did set them as a three-point underdog. I'm going to be one to take Queens. I know that we've had Nick Lawrenson, who's actually a part of this Queens bunch and I know that he was mentioning just how different this Queens team is at home rather than on the road and it really is true. This is a Queens team that certainly they've been getting cooked on defense in all locations. They are outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, just 283rd with regards to overall rebound rate. This is a Florida Gulf Coast team that they themselves have been really all over the place. They're a league average team with regards to rebound rate, about 163rd. You've been able to get some relatively good production out of Keyshawn Kelman, Zach Anderson. These two guys are combining for 24 points per game, and Anderson is shooting 48% for three-point range. I mean, I like his overall game. He is not a 48% three-point shooter. That is something that should be hitting the skids sooner rather than later, and for Dunk City, I mean, I was talking about Queens not defending. Dunk City, 326th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're relatively slow, so their numbers don't look as horrible metrically as Queens does, but Queens is actually the team that's doing a better job in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, especially when they are at home, and this is a Queens team that, while they don't necessarily have a superb amount of size down low, they do have A.J. McKee, who's able to do a little bit of everything for the team. Four boards, 1.7 steals, 16 points. It's a Queens team that they shoot about 34% from three-point range, and now they get to go up against a Dunk City team that certainly has been having their issues with regards to guarding the three-point arc, and I do think that that is going to be the big difference maker in this game. It is a Florida Gulf Coast team that's 352nd in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Not to say that Queens has been absolutely superb with this regard or anything like that, but Queens, they're clocking in 116th, so it's a spot where I did set Queens as a three-point favorite. Want we'll to take them on this pick'em line, and I did set my total at a 151 as well. We're going to be waiting on a little bit of movement. I was seeing a little bit earlier, more of a 151 and a half. If this goes to a 151 and a half, 152, I'm going to be looking at the under. Now with Queens, want we'll to take them on this pick'em line. There is 6509, and is 6510. It is fairly Dickinson. They play also Chicago State. Chicago State, an underdog of a point. Total on this game is 146 and a half. I said Chicago State as a two-point favorite. Looking at them outright on the money line. This is a Chicago State team without 
out of conference. So every single one of these games really matters for them. Meanwhile, these teams like Fairleigh Dickinson, it's more of a tune-up game for them. So I do think that the tenor of this is very interesting. And Chicago State has actually been able to do a relatively solid job defensively. They're a top 50 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, 88th in the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, as for Chicago State, they themselves do turn the ball over about 14 times for contests. They do not shoot it well from three-point range. That has been a big, giant issue for them. But a top 200 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, going up against a fairly Dickinson team that, I mean, their nickname should be Hickory, because they are getting smoked defensively. 325th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and suddenly enough, worse on defense at home rather than on the road. I mean, they are a bottom 10 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they're at home. That's not good to say the least, and the best player out there on the floor, in my opinion, does belong to Chicago State. As for Chicago State, they've got Wesley Carter, who's giving you 18 points, 5 boards, he's been able to shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range. I absolutely love his game, and then on the flip side, you've got a fairly Dickinson team that, even though they don't have a ton of size, they've honestly been relatively okay down low. Ainsley Almoner, along to all Emmanuel, throwing their Sean Moore. I mean, these three guys, they'd be able to combine between the three of them in that pocket, about 20 plus rebounds per game. Almoner, 36.5% three-point shooter, 16 points per contest for a fairly Dickinson team that they play very, very up-tempo, so they are going to turn the ball over right around 13 times for contest. Not a whole heck of a lot of concern there, but for Fairleigh Dickinson, even though they play super duper fast, not like they're efficient. They're 271st in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And I point out all the turnover issues that we've seen out of Chicago State. Chicago State is right on par with that. They're about 315th of the country. With that regard, you're able to throw in there the fact that Fairleigh Dickinson is 319th in the country with regards to overall rebound rate. And for Chicago State, having Noble Crawford, Brent Davis be able to combine for a little bit over four seals per contest. And Crawford shoot 40% for three, I think is going to be the X factor. So I did check Chicago State is a two-point favorite looking at them outright on the money line. I do think that Chicago State turns this into a little bit more of a defensive expose, but with the way the Fairleigh Dickinson gives up points, I think that this goes a little bit more up-tempo. Did set my total at 148 looking at the over and looking at Chicago State outright on the money line. 306-511, It is Winthrop, and they hit the road face off against Presbyterian. And Presbyterian does find themselves as a underdog of six points. Your total on this game is between 141 and 142 and a half. And with Presbyterian, I did set them as an underdog of five points. So I'm going to be want to take the six. This is a Winthrop team that certainly has been able to do a tremendous job offensively, but they're just not getting as much rebound-wise as they did a season ago. Alex Zimmerman is really the lone guy on the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. You can never bank on this Winthrop team, giving you a whole heck of a lot defensively, though it's been much better this year. They are about 147th in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but giving up 16 more points per 100 possessions when they're in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. Presbyterian more around 227th in the country with regards to overall points allowed on a per-possession basis, but the big concern here for Winthrop is that they are a little bit touch-and-go with regards to their three-point shooting numbers, and I do think that that is going to be costing them, especially with them not generating as many second chances as they did a season ago. You've been able to have KJ Doucette be able to shoot nearly 40% from three-point range. He's been able to give the same 14-plus points per contest, so I do like his overall game, but for Presbyterian, you've been able to get quite a bit out of Marquise Barrett. Barrett has been able to come in, and he's been able to give the same right around about 14 points, two seals per contest. Maje Teal is going to be probably the best three-point shooter in this game, shooting 43.5% for distance, 11 points per contest. It is a Winthrop team that they've also got Kaysan Harrison. We've seen a dip in his three-point shooting, but has done a nice job doling out the ball. Four assists to two turnovers per game. He, along with Kelton Telford, would be able to combine for about 23.5 points per game. And for Telford, last season, he was averaging 8 plus rebounds per game. That's down to about 4.5 thus far this season. For a Winthrop team, that they do shoot about 34% for three-point range, but they also do turn the ball over. Right in that neighborhood about 13 times per game as well. It's a Presbyterian team that has been able to do a pretty solid job defensively, giving up 
up 67 points a few or two of their last three games. Meanwhile, for Winthrop, it's been a team that's really been all over the place. To their credit, 72 points for fear surrendered in four of their last five games with the offense has hit a little bit of a rut as well. If you take a look at regulation and regulation only because they have played some overtime, 71 points for fewer in four of their last five games. So, very interesting spot to be. Did set Winthrop as a five-point favorite, so I'm willing to take the six with Presbyterian. And with regards to total, I did set mine at a 143. I do think that Winthrop going to be able to bust through a little bit more with their offense and Presbyterian. They themselves have been cranking things up just a little bit with them being able to get to at least 68 points in each other last four games. So, looking at the over and the points with Presbyterian, 3 6 5 13 3 6 5 14 UNC Asheville, it's a road face-off against High Point. High Point hopes to not be a low point as they find themselves as a half point favorites. Your total is between 154 and a half and 155 and with UNC Asheville, I did set them as an underdog of 9 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with High Point, a team that ranks in the top 25 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis with really good overall balance. They only turn the ball over 11 times for contest while cranking it up tempo a little bit and you've got multiple ball handlers as Kazagifa is going to be 13 points, 3 assists per contest and the Duke Miles. Top scorer gives you 4 assists, 19 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot north of 35.5% from 3-point range. High Point doesn't beat themselves as they shoot about 76.5% at the free throw line. And then you've got Jocelyn Bodu Bodu, who's been able to do a good job in tandem with Kamani Hamilton down low with a combined about 15.7 rebounds per game. And that should be able to neutralize the fact that you've got the biggest unicorn in this game in Drew Pember. Pember stands right around 6 foot 10, 6 foot 11, 19.5 points, 7.5 boards, 3.5 assists. He's able to shoot 33% from 3 for a UNC Asheville team that does a superb job shooting 36.5% from the outside. But I do think that this high point team is going to be able to hold up high point. They themselves do allow quite a few threes as they're 319th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but that falls to about 34.4% at home, north of 38% on the road and for the Sashville team. They've actually done a really good job of being able to guard the three-point arc where they really get destroyed is on the two-point shots as you do have Nate McMillan who's still been able to give you right around about six rebounds per game, but this is a Nashville team that you do have your concerns with them just being able to match up with a high point team that has been able to do a nice job of being able to generate second and third chances at high point. Number three in all of college basketball in terms of overall rebound rate for Asheville. Despite the fact that they've got Drew Pember, they're only about 179th with this regard, even though they've been able to do a nice job of being able to guard the arc as well. It is a UNC Asheville team that they just don't compare defensively as well in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis because of all the open twos that they're giving up. Asheville, 284th in all of college basketball. They also don't force seals. Meanwhile, they're bottom half of all of college basketball team in terms of turning the ball over. Meanwhile, it's a high point team. More on 233rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is an ordeal where I did set my total at 155. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to sink quite a few shots. So, looking at the over and with the high point, going to be willing to lay up to 8.5 with them. 3-6-5-15, 3-6-5-16. It is Lafayette on the road facing off against Colgate. And Colgate does find themselves as a 13.5 point favorite. Totals between 129.5 and 130. And with Colgate, I did set them as a favorite of 13.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. This is a Lafayette bunch that has just been deplorable with regards to their offense. They're not quite Mississippi Valley state-level bad, but in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, 359th in all of college basketball. You don't have a single guy for this Lafayette team as averaging north of 10.5 points per contest. Meanwhile, for Colgate, not quite the same three-point shooting team that they have in the past years. They've been a top five three-point shooting team each of the last three campaigns, but that's that still shooting 36% from three-point range with Braden Smith being a do-it-all player, 14 points, five boards, five assists, 1.8 steals per contest, so do have to like what he's supplying for this team. Meanwhile, you've got a Lafayette team that they just 
aren't necessarily finding their footing as well with regards to their defense as they are well outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going to my theory of just because you play slow doesn't mean that you necessarily play tremendously on defense and for Lafayette 282nd in all of college basketball in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage allowing opponents to shoot down near 37% from three in a roadside shooting court environment with Keegan Rutgers doing a relatively solid job down low for this Colgate team as well giving you about seven rebounds per game and for Lafayette you also don't have a single guy in the scene that gives you north of five rebounds per game. You're hoping to be able to get a little bit more of Justin Vanderbond, seven-footer from Boston College, who's only been able to give you about four and a half rebounds per game. Each other top four rebounders actually do give you four plus rebounds per game, and Eric Sonnenberg leads the way with nine and a half points per game, but the Lafayette team, they turn the ball over 13 times for contest. They shoot 68.5% at the free line, 28.5% from three-point range, going up against the Colgate team that all of a sudden has been able to really find their offense 78 and 80 points in their first two games in conference play. Colgate played a really loaded non-conference late, so that has prepared them very well. And for this Lafayette team, this team has not exceeded the 60-point plateau in any of their last five games. It is a Lafayette team that I believe that they have gotten past 70 in three games thus far this season, but it feels like a distant memory. So I did set my total at a 127.5. I'm going to be looking at the under of Colgate. I did set them as a favorite more around 13.5 points. If we can get back to a 13, I'm going to be willing to lay that number if we get to 14+. plus. I just think that there's too few possessions for Colgate to be able to cover. So 13 or less, one to lay with Colgate, 14 or more, looking at Lafayette and looking at the under 306-517, Gardner Webb going to be playing against Charles Southern. Charles Southern is a 12 to a 12 and a half point underdog. Your total is between 140 and a half at 141. I did set my line at nine. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Gardner Webb. This is just not the same team defensively that they have in the past year. So it's not like this Charleston Southern team is necessarily doing a tremendous job on defense either. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this team is right around 353rd. But for Gardner Webb, typically this is a team that's like a top 75 team defensively, and then they do nothing on offense. Gardner Webb, 245th nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up a full point more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. And for Charleston Southern, I think that they should be able to do an okay job on the glass. You got Tajay Kelly along with RJ Tuart, who will be able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. RJ Johnson shoots 40% from three along with Tajay Kelly. Both of these guys shoot 40 plus percent from three. Johnson has been able to give you 16 points per contest. It's a Charleston Southern team that for all the woes that they have defensively in a roadside shoot court environment, they do allow opponents to shoot only about 33, 33.5% from three par range. Not saying it's amazing, but you know what? That'll fly against a Gardner Webb team that they themselves have been allowing opponents to shoot 35% from three par range in their home games. It is a Gardner Webb team that without Lufayo Dufield along with Kareem Reed, they just don't have as much down low. They were their main shot blockers from a season ago, and Gardner Webb has slipped to 279th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Now, with this Gardner Webb team, you do have a little bit in the backcourt to be able to help you out. DQ Nicholas is able to give you a few assists. He's been able to chip in there in that neighborhood about 10 points per contest. You've been able to have Julian Sawarmo be able to chip in there 13 points. Okay, three-point shooter, but it's not like the Gardner Webb team has been able to elevate with their offense, shooting 65.5% the free throw, 31.5% from three-point range. They take relatively good care of the ball, but other than Nicholas, along with Julian Sawarmo, you're able to throw in there the 13 points per game of Caleb Robinson. Nobody else giving you north of 6.7 points per game. So I do think that Charleston Southern could be able to hold in there. Want to take the points with them, set them as a nine-point dog and did something total at a 141. Both of these teams have been acting up on defense, so I thought 140.5 looking at the over and going to be able to take the points with Charles. It's other 306-519-306-520. Kennesaw State, we give our Odelaine Kiffin go levels. They play us two sets in, and sets in is an underdog of two and a half points. Total on schemes between 161.5 and 162. If those sets in is a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, I did
Indian semi-toe at 164.5. Looking at the over because while Setson plays slowly, you've got a Kennesaw State team that is right there at the top of all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. As a matter of fact, they are number one in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. And both of these teams, they're really looking to shoot from three-par inch. Kennesaw State, go over Odalane Kiffin, go Owls. They've been off with their three-point shooting, shooting only about 32.5% from distance, but feels like it's starting to come alive. And for Setson, this has been over the last few years, a top 50 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage if you combine last year and this year. And if you take a look at their three-point shooting defense, a bottom 50 team with that respect as well. So you got really both sides of it with the Setson team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. The Setson team has been getting just completely cooked on defense. 345th in all of college basketball for Setson. You do have down low Aben Gusterse, who's been able to give you about 7.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that Devin Robinson and his 7.5 rebounds per game is going to be able to match up there. You've got a Kennesaw State team that has had Simeon Kotal be able to give you in that neighborhood about 3 assists, 16.5 points per game, and you've also got two really good facilitators on both sides. Both of these guys give you north of 6 assists per game. Stefan Swenson, 6 assists for Setson. Tyrell Burton, about 6.3 assists per contest. And then Jalen Blackman. I mean, talk about a guy that is absolutely suffering the statue. 22 points per contest, shooting north of 45% from three-point range, but I do think that we're going to see a little bit of inevitable regression there. This is a Setson team that, despite the fact that they've got one or two solid rebounders, they're just 293rd in all of college basketball. The guards rebound rate, not like Kennesaw State, is too amazing themselves at 294th, but I do think that Kennesaw State does enough on the glass at home to be able to get it done. I do think that Setson going to have a little bit of a tougher time shooting on the road. So I did set my total at 164.5, looking at the overhand with Setson, made them a 6.5 point underdog, so one to lay with Kennesaw State. Go Owls, and wrap things up with 306, 521, 306, is going to be on the road facing off against Lehi. Lehi does find themselves as a 7.5 to an 8-point favorite. And your total on this game is 139. Did something total at 140.5. You've got a Lehi team that ranks in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And though Bucknell has actually been a bottom 25 team in terms of total possessions per game, I do think that they are going to give up enough points to be able to push this total over. So I'm going to be looking at the over as this is a Bucknell team that has not been too efficient on defense. who are an 88th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But I'm going to be willing to take the points with them as Lehi. They themselves, 232nd in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis and for Bucknell, you haven't been able to get a ton of rebounding for this team. You've really got two guys that will be able to supply you with north of three and a half rebounds per game, but you've got Noah Williamson, who is a true seven-footer, who was able to give you about five boards, and then Jack Forrest, all sorts of versatility, shooting 88% free line, 38.7% from three, five and a half boards, 15 and a half points per game, going up against a Lehigh team that has Tyler Whitney, Sydney, along with Keith Higgins, being able to combine for about 30 points, 35% three-point shooting, but Lehigh as a whole, they only shoot about 31.4% from three-point range. It is a Lehigh team that they really don't do a great job of being able to take care of the ball as well. About 12.7 turnovers per game. It is a Lehigh team that's 305th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. So though Bucknell has their woes there, they're actually a little bit of a better rebound rate team. This is a Bucknell team that certainly is not going to be able to do an amazing job of being able to force turnovers in this spot. So that should allow Lehigh to be able to operate quite freely and that'll be able to help out with this total over as Bucknell 271st in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. But with Lehigh having a really tough time being able to guard the three-point arc, and having a 35% three-point shooter and Josh Vasco has been able to give you 9.5 points per contest. I do think that it is going to be able to help out this Bucknell team that they themselves have been able to have some better results recently. They were able to have that nice big win over Penn State on the road. That's something that's going to be able to get this team going. I do think that they're starting to find a little bit more outside of Alvin Edmonds who's been dealing with injury all season long. And for Bucknell, credit where credit is due. They have actually given up 71 points or fewer in each other last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Lehigh team that they have been certainly scoring their 
points to say the least, and they've been giving up as well, giving up 75 plus points in three of their last four games against Division One competition. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. Anything north of seven going to be one. Take the points with the Buck Nile and did set my total at a 140 and a half. So also looking at the over, and that will wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast Coast Soups. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Gina underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters am. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to on this podcast. I have that five star review. And big thanks once again to our good friend Blake Bubble over there at Southeastern 14 coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today.